My name is Tom Chick, and you are listening to the Corner to Three Movie Podcast for Tinker Taylor Soldier Magdalene Spy. Marlene. Now, Kelly Wan, that's one of the things I'm curious about. You, you, you have seen it, and you have yet to figure out the name of Martha Marcy May Marlene. I'll be curious to find out if you have the same problem with this movie, which is also a list of four things. Uh, but we'll find that out in a second. First, let me introduce Christian... Mariskov, Mariskovsky. Um, it's Pope Moroski. Real name is just Moroski. Um, I added the Pope for a touch of class. <laughs> and Kelly Wand, first of all, I challenge you to name the title of the movie we saw and tell us the tagline for it that you came up with. Which order? Which one you want first? It's up to you. <laughs> hey, Dingus's real names goes with the movie for once. Because it's a Russian-sounding name. Mm-hmm. Can't trust that. That's guy. not the catchphrase or the title, which you asked for. Uh, wait, the Mary Marcy Magdalene or the one we just saw? No, the one we just saw. We all know that you cannot say the name of Martha Marcy May. Oh, well, <laughs> Martha Marcy May Marlene. See, you almost screwed me up. We know you can't uh, do that. I'm just curious if you can do this one. Tinker, uh, wait, Tinker, Trapper, Furrier, <laughs> Carrier, Harvest, <laughs> Gatherer. That's close. We'll see if by the end of the podcast if you've mastered that. So the beginning, beginning of the podcast, still not quite there. We'll check in with you later. So Catchphrase. Yeah, what is your catchphrase or tagline for Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy? These spies were the same kind of trench coat I wore a couple years back when I saw Nancy Drew. Hmm. Okay. I'm going to mull on that one. But while I, while I do that, uh, I want dingus to tell us what this movie is without spoiling anything for people who maybe haven't seen it which at this point in time is most of the people in america <laughs> all right well this week we saw tinker taylor soldier spy mm. a 2011 english language espionage drama thriller movie mm. about a veteran spy trying to find a mole in mi6 it was directed by Tomas Alfredson and written by Bridget uh. O'Connor and Peter Strawn, based uh. on a novel by John Lacari. Uh. The movie stars Benedict Cumberbatch, John Hurt, Gary Oldman, David Denchik, Kathy Burke, and Colin Firth. Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy is rated R for violence, <laughs> some sexuality slash nudity, what? And, what? and language, too, yes. Huh. Okay, well, we'll explore that in a moment. But uh, <laughs> So I don't know if you guys know, this was supposed to be... So uh, Universal picked this up after it ran at some film festivals. Uh, they released it under their Focus Features I don't know, boutique name or whatever. That's what they do. their little indie films under that, that uh, branding. Uh, and it was supposed to come out last month in November. Uh, for whatever reason, they delayed it. And what I didn't realize is not only did they delay it, this is an incredibly limited release. Uh, I won't bore folks, but we saw Shame last week, and that only was released on, on 10 screens around the U.S. Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy opened this week 
on four <laughs> screens in the what? entire country. Yeah. yeah, it is now. Uh, next week it'll come out, and I think on another ten. I'm sure they're going to roll it out uh, Why? more broadly. So dumb. Well, I have a theory. We'll, we'll talk about that when we talk more about the movie. But I think because they feel it just has a really limited appeal, and they want to build up some sort of like critical buzz first. Um, By not opening it, I don't understand that strategy. I never understood it in the seventies either. It's a hot. I think it's a hard movie to sell uh, with a trailer, and uh, I, I don't know. I think it's a hard movie to sell, and they're counting on critical response to help them sell it. Uh, and trailer. And some word of mouth from folks maybe like us. We'll find out. Uh, so it only opened on four theaters, but having said that, uh, last week I bored some of you with some brief figures about – one of the ways you can gauge a movie's performance is how much money it makes on average per screen on which it's released. Shame, which was released on 10 screens, did fairly well at something like 36000 per screen, and that tends to be right up there with what really big blockbusters do that open on 4,000 screens and that do well. Uh, so Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, opening in four theaters, made a third of a million dollars, and made that if you do the math, that comes down to seventy-five thousand dollars per screen, which is really good, and it actually secures it in the list of all-time per-screen averages at number thirty-four. <laughs> so they're, <laughs> so they're geniuses. I'm a fool. They did. They yeah. That, that's not going to help them recoup the production cost, but it does show that there really is a demand for folks to see this movie. Now, I, I think so. What part of what that helped? What what is helped by that is the critical response. Right now, it is at if you go to Rotten Tomatoes, eighty six percent of the reviews are positive. Uh, if you look at Metacritic, which gauges the actual rating of the review, the average review for Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy is at eighty nine percent. Uh, so that said, we are going to talk in a moment whether or not we agree or disagree with the critics, how we feel about it. I know at least one of us has read the book and is here to comment on the source material. I know one of us was actually not that enthusiastic about the movie after having seen it, and we'll explore that in a moment. But first... Uh, what about the third guy? Well, the third guy, Kelly Wand, can you break down for folks maybe who have seen it and are confused... It's a very uh, plot-heavy movie. Yeah. Why don't you tell us Quite what happens in Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy? Maybe give us, I don't know, a synopsis of it. Oh, you mean a Tailor Tinker Soldier spy synopsis? Very good. Now let's work on the order. But yes, rock and roll. Taylor. <laughs> I think of, of us, I'm the Taylor. Spoiler alert. Okay. John Voigt plays this spy named Guy Smiley. Who never smiles? Who works for John Hurt? Who isn't just Hurt? He's dead. So his name's kind of a spoiler. Much like the movie logo. Prior to his deadness, John Hurt's John Voigt's boss, and his cover name's Control, which was also the name for Maxwell Smart Secret Agency. The agency in this movie is called The Circus, because it's cunningly located off Piccadilly Circus in a circus tent, co-inflated by Andy Circus. <laughs> a little fun. Bob Newhart plays a guy named Percy, who inherits the boss's job <laughs> by distributing secrets called witchcraft. <coughs> Sorry, Dingus. Supposedly given to him by a Russian named Merlin, after the red electronic toy that was in vogue in 1973 when the movie takes place. Although none of the agencies in this movie have tech anywhere near as advanced as Blackjack 13 or Magic Square. They're big on teletypes and T-squares. John Voight's nefarious analog in Moscow is named Carla, although if I was KGB, I'd have gone with Natasha. 
there's another spy named Jim Prudeau who got played for a fool in Budapest a year ago at a Balkan meet and greet with another scalp hunter going sour, see? <laughs> oh, is there any accent I can't do? So, luckily, he noticed his waiter was sweating too much into his coffee, so he outfoxed them by getting shot in the back and captured and tortured for his training and recovering from crippling spinal injuries and listening to craft work helped him tell his captors everything. Note to self, cool name for prequel, the movie I saw a few weeks ago, Tower Erection. Now back to Tinker something, 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 something. So John Hurt calls John Voigt to his office and goes, Well found, old boffin, to the business at hand, alley-ho. I'd narrowed the field of suspects down to six, but upon eliminating myself from contention, I am now certain that one of five people in the circus is a traitor. Colin Firth, three other guys, and you. <laughs> <laughs> and John Voight's all, uh, why not all of us? Also, if you suspect me, aren't you being kind of dumb right now? And John Hurt goes, precisely. Now, to keep things simplistic, I've pasted all your photos to these chess pieces. <laughs> I wasn't using the board, so I tossed that. <laughs> and Voight saw, uh, we were using it, actually, to play that game we started 20 years ago. One move a month. You lost your queen and both your knights in one move back in 69. <laughs> and Hurt saw, pettifoggery in sooth. Let's just say I won and no one owes anyone anything. And John Voight picks up one of the objects on the desk and goes, uh, this is a shoe. I think it goes with that Monopoly set I see sticking out of your closet there. And John Herzl, precisely. Anyway, one of you five chaps on the Barbie is a Soviet mole. For marketing reasons, I've assigned each of you suspects a code name from a nursery rhyme that was popular in the 1820s. See here, Bob Newhart's Tinker, Colin Firth's Taylor, the guy who has no dialogue, in the movie is Soldier, and you're Beggarman. And John Voitzel, uh... Wait, I think you skipped a couple verses. Isn't cellist one of them? And John Hurt goes, Yes, well, puffle the tish of it all. Sailor rhymes with Taylor. So I burned that chess piece and made this tea from its ashes. Mahogany, don't you bloody well think, old wanker? And John Voigt saw, Wait, so I'm beggar man? Isn't that kind of the same as poor man conceptually? Also, I noticed my chess piece is a C-3PO Pez dispenser. I'm not sure how I feel about that. <laughs> And John Herzl, yes, it's a pity cuckold wasn't one of the verses, eh, old bean? <laughs> JK, we all love Colin Firth. I mean, Taylor. And John Voitzel, okay, so rich man, thief, that's two more. And John Herzl, all right, look, forget the rhyme. The point is I've narrowed it down to five suspects I suspect. And Voitzel, all right, I'm totally ready to move on. It just seems like you picked one nursery rhyme at random instead of one that was kind of more five-centric. Wait, that's not a word. Pentacular and hurts all. Blimey indeed. Perhaps you're right, old muffin. Tinker Taylor did work better when I suspected seven of you, including that guy Taylor in accounting, although I had him as soldier for reasons I won't bore you with. Anyway, and Voight's all, yeah, anyway. Hurt goes, three bears, three little pigs, too many threes, never a fiver. <laughs> and Voight's all, hey, I got one. A skunk sat on a stump. The skunk thunk, the stump stunk. The stump thunk, the skunk stunk. 
and John Herzog. Let's just make Bob Newhart Eenie, Colin Firth Meanie, and John Voight goes, spoiler alert. Between, meanwhile, and six hours later, John Voight recruits Ron Weasley and a couple other dudes into his cabal of hopefully non-Soviets. And he builds a treehouse in his backyard, and he nails a sign to the door that says, No girls allowed, spies only. And he spells it with a Y, and the S's are backwards. And Buckwheat gives him a thumbs up. And John Voight's all, all right, so there's a mole in MI6, ideally not one of us. Who here knows a lot of nursery rhymes? I could use your help with something. And then Ewan McGregor falls through the roof and goes, hey, guys, it's me, Ricky. I hooked up with this Russian chick in Hong Kong, and she says there's a mole in MI6, whatever that is. And they're all, yeah, thanks, Ricky. We're on that. And Ricky saw, oh, she said her name was Irina. She's a Russian spy, so I don't think she'd lie to me. And they're all, wait, how'd you get out of Hong Kong? And Ricky's all, my training. I knew from watching that Underworld 4 trailer to hold the grenade and throw the pin at the audience. Or in this case, my Soviet pursuers. Let's go save her. Like in all the spy movies that open at more than one theater in L.A. And they're all, uh. So John Voight goes to visit the mom from Gilbert Great because she got fired too. And there's a bunch of kids LARPing on her lawn. And one of them's all, lightning bolt, lightning bolt, lightning bolt, sleep. And then a chick anxiously golf claps. And John Voight's all, ah, kids, if only they knew that being a spy was really just tons of paperwork and spreadsheets. And some kids playing D&D on a bench glare at him. I don't know why he's talking like John Hurt there. But anyway, when does a spit take? Uh, oh, yeah. The fat lady makes some tea, and he's all, oh, Connie, the Cold War's made ice cubes of us all. And she's all, yeah, that was a real war, the Hitler one. Did you really give a Soviet Kaiser Soze a lighter given you by your faithless wife? That'd seem implausible in a James Bond movie. Where'd you learn your interrogation techniques? Chechnya? Afghanistan? And he's all... <laughs> Well, this isn't a James Bond movie. And the audience is all, yeah, we noticed. (laughs) (laughs) Tempted to end it there, but there is more. I guess I'll just go out with the usual fizzle. So he goes back to the treehouse, and he's all, okay, nerds, here's the plan. Stinky, you break into the library and steal all the files marked security, clearance, Soviet mole, or higher. Hammurabi, you just drive in circles in front of Big Ben until you run out of gas and then walk home depressed in the rain. Ricky, your lovably reckless retardation has already cost us a lot of good agents, networks, and intel. You'll be in charge of single-handedly taking over the Paris radio network and sending a false message to the Circus High Command that even the most inveterate spies will accept at face value. And they're all, uh, wait, well, you do what again? We know it's not your wife, because Colin Firth and John Voight's all, I'll be waiting inside this one house that they all like to meet at with my shoes off, sitting in a rocking chair with an electric blanket on my lap, poised to strike. Once, of course, I've seduced the landlady into playing ball, because, gentlemen, whoever walks into that room, or as I call it, the trap, and who isn't a Russian general, or as I call them, red gens, is the mole. Yes, Ricky... Yeah, uh, what if they come with backup, like guns or other dudes? And John Voight's all, good point. I'll wear two pairs of socks. <laughs> so to make a long movie just as long, they catch the mole and get the proof by flipping the on-off switches on all the microphones and hoping that the Soviets don't talk in code but do talk in Russian. They do, and Britannia is saved. To celebrate successfully humiliating his own government and exposing their incompetence, John Voight goes to see Colin Firth at the prison and goes... Well, Colin, gotcha. Wait till I tell Anne. Colin Purcell, nothing personal, old weed. The West just has looser wives. Ah, well, AWK, I need to go stand at the fence and ponder my sins morosely for a minute. (laughs) 
bit off topic, but if there's anyone out there with a sniper scope, I'll be able to see them with my naked eye in my final moments. <laughs> so I got that going for me, which is nice. And John Voight saw, well, it's been real. Be aware, if you get shot in the face, there won't be any repercussions for your murder, and you won't be under guard or anything, so have a pretty easy shot. Although in the book, Jim strangles you like the owl, which was way cooler. Huh, Colin Firth, and Colin Firth saw... Wait, what I do in this movie? Ring a bicycle bell? So John Voight gets promoted to Tinker's understudy, because Whitehall really liked how he got a super valuable intel-filled Soviet mole slain on his watch so they can't get anything for him. And John Voight goes home to his wife, knowing that even though Carla knows her name from the lighter, her life's probably not in too much danger. And now that she's cheated on him with a Soviet spy, he can trust her with anything. The end. All right, Kelly Wand. Well done. Well done, chap. And I read the book. So tell us the name of the book, Kelly Wand. Maybe that'll Tinker, help. Tinker Taylor. But in the book, uh, he's like a, like a fat dude, like John Polito kind of looking guy. Ah, well, you know what, Kelly Wand? Hold that thought, because as uh, our source material uh, special expert, I, I am curious at some point to hear about the comparisons to the source material. <clears throat> uh, first of all, I want to bring up, though, so Dingus, you, uh, not many folks know this because you haven't brought it up on the podcast, but you're a member of the SAG nominating committee and you get all the, yeah, I get all these DVDs delivered to my house where I can watch them whenever I want. So, Dingus, that is you, a great impersonation. I like He's that. a star fucker, but he's doing it to himself. So it's kind of like, what's the word for that? Uh, so, Dingus, you got to see this before it was released, and one of the things you said to me and Kelly Wan, because at this time of year, we scramble to see movies that we think we might want to put on our top ten for the year. Uh, one of the things you said to us, Dingus, was we really didn't need to bother with Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy. Yeah. Um, so, Dingus, I want you to get in here first and tell us why you thought that. Uh... Oh, God. I, or, or, you know, I, just, I'm, I'm basically just inviting you to go first. I'm curious what you thought of it. I'm intrigued that you said that, and I want to I want to hear more about that. All right. Well, I've seen it a couple times since, including this this weekend. I went to a theater, and so I was one of the people who contributed to those four theaters. Good. I actually went there and saw it. Mm-hmm. Thanks for making um, me sit in the second row, bitch. You're welcome, cock. <laughs> That's are, not it. That's not how the English speak. You guys are doing it wrong. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. A squabble. <laughs> All right. Um, so go ahead, Dingus. So you've seen it a few times. Uh, go ahead. Uh, it just, you know, I keep trying to like it, mm-hmm. and um, I, I think, um, <clears throat> I think I'm going to get slammed on this podcast and elsewhere for being the person who just doesn't like it because everybody else likes it. I see the things that everybody's going to like about it. I understand every, what everybody's going to like about it, but it just doesn't work for me. Okay. Uh, I mean, there are things I really like about it, but I'll let you guys talk about those things. Cause I, I mean, I'm assuming you guys really loved it um, and that I just it just doesn't work for me. And I feel bad about that. But, you know. Well, that, and the, the thing is, the, 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 the reason I said that to you, mm-hmm. um, the, the first time I watched it, it just... I really wasn't attuned to the fact that um, who the director was. I, I wasn't paying attention to that. I don't know why that happened. But and but when I said that to you guys, you guys were both aghast. And I thought I was just sort of kicking off some random film that we were all going to be able to ignore. And then you guys were aghast at who the director was. Wait, wait, that's Thomas Albertson. And I went, oh, shit, I didn't think about that. And he, we know him from Let the Right One In, of course. Exactly. And so then I, I just started second guessing myself and figuring I'm, I must, <laughs> I must just be wrong. And, um, well, 
Well, the thing is, okay, I, I, and there's no shame in not liking something everybody loves. I was there when we saw that Descendants thing. Uh, right. So, right. and that, that's fine. But what I'm curious about, here's my deal, Dingus. I feel towards you at this point the way Jim Prito felt towards Bill Haddon at the end of the movie. Not that I want to shoot you with a sniper rifle, but that sense of betrayal. I am like, here's what's going on in my head. How on earth could Dingus see this movie, even if it didn't work for you, and think that Tom Chick would not adore it? Because, good yeah. Lord, I adored this. I thought this was a freaking masterpiece. And I'm, 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 I'm eager to get into this, because I, I was blown away by this, Dingus. I saw it the first time, and it worked for me even then. Uh, and I, I went and saw it a second time as well. And I... Uh, I think it works on a couple of different levels. So I just want to know why on earth you, Dingus, are one of my closest movie buddies. I just feel so betrayed that you would not think that I would love this. And I demand an accounting. <laughs> well, that's why I, I sort of uh, reviewed that thought. And when we decided whether or not we were going to see this, I said, I think we should see it. Uh, because I'd like to be able to see it again. And I think you guys should take a crack at it. Because I immediately had a feeling that I was going to be the outlier. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know why that is right now. I mean, I can, uh, I'll be able to talk at length, but I'd rather hear you guys talk about what you love about it uh, okay. because you clearly love it. Well, Dingus, um, I'm not going to shoot this. Go ahead. And, and I've, and again, I've, tr I've tried to love it, but, but, uh, but aside from betraying you, uh, I would like to, um, I would like to at least give an excuse to say that uh, I, I kind of thought, you know, I think it's just me this time, and I think I need to encourage these two guys to go see it. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, so Kelly Wand, I've I've tipped my hand. Dingus has tipped his hand. Uh, Kelly Wand, you you read the book. You were intent on reading it before you saw the the movie. I I presume you did finish the book. Yeah. Okay. Uh, how do you feel then about the movie having read the book? I really like the book. I think, I think it was one of those things that's really hard to turn into a movie because it's very. There's a lot of. Um, just talks and going through notebooks and him pondering like the, it's sort of like dune where it's like nothing happens for the first 300 pages <laughs> you would go there <laughs> like a million things happen uh and also uh a couple things they changed well before we get into that, that i'm just curious okay. what you thought of the movie though uh, mostly satisfying, but I just finished the book, and I and so they're sort of merged in my mind, and I don't know if I can be trusted. And I missed some things from the book that they changed, although I understood some of the things that they they just taken out for space. It seemed kind of rushed, maybe. The movie did, you're saying? Yeah, but you you if you were blown away, like you followed it. And I guess I was thinking maybe I don't know if if people haven't read the book, they're going to be confused right now. Well, here's what uh here's and why I didn't have time to set up the other red herring guys as much too. The other red herring. Oh, you mean in, that were in the book, like red herrings from the book? Yeah. Uh, well, here's what uh, I, I can sort of understand why this might not work for, for some people. And I, I'm curious to hear more specifically from Dingus, because I'm really surprised that it, it didn't grab him like it did me. I don't but think I he's can, into Cold War stuff. Like, you don't think what? I don't think he's into Cold War spy stuff the way you and I are. I don't think it's necessarily that. Here's, no? here's how I would break down this movie. For me, the first time I saw it... I think even though you can get a little bit lost in some of the politics of what's going on with the circus and with what Carla's doing and, and the reveal about witchcraft, even though I think some of that can be a little hard to wrap your head around the first time, I feel that it does a, a fantastic job of highlighting the sort of the emotional triangle of the movie. And that is the relationship of Smiley, 
of uh, Gary Oldman's character to Carla and his wife Anne, who both and I th- there's just so many brilliant touches in this thing. Neither of whom you ever see. I mean, you see them, but you don't see their faces. Right. You see your Carla. Uh, I think that that little hook right there, that part of the movie, and specifically that just staggering monologue that I, that Gary monologue does. Specifically, I think that right there, uh, literally, <laughs> when he gets up, yeah. Uh, Gary, Gary monologue. Gary monologue. What did I say? Oh, that, that Gary Oldman monologue. Sorry, that Gary monologue. Yeah. That, that monologue that he does, uh, specifically like that, I think it's easy to sort of to grok on your first viewing. The significance of him revealing that he had given away his own weakness to Carla when he met him. 20 years ago and how and how that comes back into play in this particular plot like that was what really grabbed me the first time i saw it and then the second time i saw it being able to piece together the intricacies of the witchcraft plot and all that stuff uh i think there was even that much more of a payoff but even the first time i can see people being confused by a lot of the detail but even then i still think there's you know that that hook about those two characters that you don't see i think that that works and that's pretty easy to understand um, now, now, Dingus, am I correct in that that was part of what turned you off of it? Is it there was a little, is that it, it was at times incomprehensible, or was it just too slow and languid? Now, Kelly, one, you just said it was rushed, <laughs> so I, but but hold that thought. I want I want Dingus to answer. Okay, that. well, I'll explain. okay, okay. Um, actually, no. Um, I'm really interested that you think this is a triangle between the wife Carla and um, Gary Monologue. Um, and you don't mention John, uh, not John, Bill, Bill, Bill Hayden. Colin Firth. Yeah, you don't mention him at all. Uh, that's fascinating to me um, because, uh, but also that you you highlight the um, that particular monologue scene, which bothers me both times, because the, because for me that that's not just a monologue. That's that's a role playing scene that uh, that Smiley goes into this. I'm talking to a chair as if it's Carla. Thing that he's doing for um, for Peter Gwillem, uh, that it just I don't know if that's in the book. I have no idea any of the source material. I just I, I mean I've seen the television series a while ago, um, and watching that it, it just for me maybe it's maybe Gary Oldman has just worn out his welcome for me, and I, I feel terrible <laughs> saying that. Um, it, but but whereas uh, Alec Guinness really. Really felt like uh, I really believe Alec Guinness being this this taciturn you know guy who who is smiley. I, I I always felt like Oldman was just playing at it, and that scene where he's talking to the chair um, kind of highlighted that for me in a way that everything else he's doing in the movie has nothing to do with that. So so I can't say it's the intricacy of intricacies of the plot that bothered okay. me because I've seen it. I've seen it again. I I thought that might be the problem, and that's why I've watched it a couple more times mm-hmm. um, and tried to love it. And even watching it again in a theater full of people, um, some of whom were making idiotic comments after, which were hilarious to me, uh, who didn't who didn't understand the intricacies of the plot. I, I just don't think that's it. I, I just don't think that's the problem. So it sounds like part of it is you are sort of like comparing it to the Alec Guinness BBC version. Well, I, that that might be part of it. I don't think I really care for the version that much to to be wedded to it. Mm-hmm. I think part of the problem is, and this is where I, I sort of started to understand, or I think that you guys would like it a lot more than I do, is that I think that this owes a lot to 
a lot more to 70s cinema that you guys speak fondly of and that I may not be as crazy about. Okay. Like, um, like the 70s cinema that I love would be uh, The Day of the Jackal. I mean, I love the way that movie is put together, but that's not really the 70s cinema you guys talk about. And this movie seems to me to be almost a love letter to those 70s movies and the way it looks and the atmosphere of it and the pacing of it and the brutality of it in some parts, I think, speaks more to you guys than it does to me. Uh, and I, I want to say the reason I mentioned that 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 monologue dingus and the the role of Carla, the wife, and, and Gary Oldman uh, is that I, I sort of feel that's a, a sort of a reveal, like that's a cinematic device that you can appreciate the first time. Not that it's the sum total of the, the emotional heart of it. Like I, I absolutely agree that Bill Haddon's a huge part in that, uh, Tom Hardy's character. Uh, so I, I just am saying that that is a cool little puzzle that you can figure out the first time you see it. And that right. that's a hook, even if the rest of the intricacies are, are lost on someone. Uh, so I just wanted to explain that real quick. Uh, I, I like the 70s cinema comparison, so that, that makes me want to then ask Kelly Wand. You said it, you, you thought it maybe felt rushed, but you also said it, you asked Dingus if it was too slow. Um, it's slow. It felt rushed in the sense that there's a lot of characters you don't get to know much about in a two-hour movie that you in a 400-page novel you get like it could be bland like if the, the implication that there's more about toby mm-hmm. and i was also thinking it's like toby jones is playing percy <laughs> but another guy's playing a character named toby <laughs> but you know him by his voice in the book like he talks a little weird but the guy never talked in the movie and i'm like ah, see that's missing there but uh i mean i'm I'm gay for just British, like, mannered British writing in general, even if it's not about spies. And then this is, like, every character in the movie is a spy. And it was written by a former spy. And uh, it's just a great portrait of a guy not losing his shit at work. <laughs> I really like that. <laughs> well, Because the only reason he's having the affair is that, like, you go, oh, that's a red herring, or that's, to, like, 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 the subplot, and that winds up being a crucial part of what's going on, is they're trying to throw him off his game by having Anne. That's uh, just... And, but he doesn't let it get to him. He, he still outs the guy. But isn't all that so... Well, go ahead. Anyway. I, I want to hear more, more things that Tom loved about it, because I, I can pick it apart. But I want to hear the things that you guys loved about it, because most people love this, and I can see the craft here. It just doesn't speak to me, so I want to hear Okay, so, so, so two things to respond to, to your comment about Gary Oldman Dingus and Kelly Wan's comment about uh, you know the, the plotting and what might have been lost in the translation from the book. First about Gary Oldman. Uh, I, I so was in love with his performance in this, and I would rank it up there with what I feel are some of the great all-time uh, and I'll call them impassive performances. And it, it reminded me of Billy Bob Thornton and The Man Who Wasn't There, Anthony Hopkins and Remains of the Day, uh, even, and this guy's nowhere near the caliber of these other guys, but his performance, the type of performance he was doing reminded me of this, uh, Sylvester Stallone in Copland. Uh, and I love when an actor... What about Hackman in Conversation? Uh, Hackman in Conversation that does some kind of pyrotechnical stuff, though. Uh, I don't think there's any of that. When I talk about an impassive performance, uh, 
like impassive it's, it's a weird word it's not the same as passive which means you're not acting uh and gary oldman is is the opposite of passive in this movie impassive just means not showing emotion being very controlled restrained uh you, you know it's a very difficult thing for an actor to do and one of the scenes in this movie that i would just i could watch this over and over and over again is the 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 Christmas party flashback. There's a brief moment where before we understand what's going on between his wife and Bill Hayden, Hayden, whatever, Colin Firth, uh, there is this shot of Gary Oldman after he has leaned over and kissed his wife on the cheek and said, Merry Christmas, darling. And then we see some more activity in the party. There's a shot of him looking at his wife while she's singing along with a song. And he is trying to catch her eye and smile at her. And it is so, there are such little things going on. He's trying to, like, he's got the smile cued and ready to go. And it's just, there's so much expression in his face, but without it being overt. I mean, it's it's the sort of, it's this quintessence of, of impassiveness almost. Like, he's looking at her, and he wants her to look at him. And then something happens where he's following her gaze, and he sees that she's looking at Colin Firth. And he turns around and sees Colin Firth. And the entire time, the camera is, all, is on Gary Oldman's face. Thomas Alfredson... Alfredson, I don't. Uh, he knew not to leave Gary Oldman's face, to just leave the camera on him there. Uh, and so I loved his performance. I loved how restrained it was, but but yet communicative. How much you could learn from watching him in restraint. And I love how much Thomas Alfredson appreciated this and, and captured it. Uh, the scene where Ricky Tarr agrees to go to Paris to do the the uh, to to out the mole. And he yeah. says, but look, I'll go, but you guys have to get the, the woman out of Russia because I don't want to end up like the lot of you. And, you know, he's looking at Benedict Cumberbatch and Gary Oldman, both of whom have lost their relationships, presumably because of work. Now, Ricky Tarr doesn't necessarily know that, but I love who he's talking to at that moment. He says that, and Gary Oldman at that moment knows that the woman has been killed. Right. And, and there's a moment where he swallows and says, I will do my utmost. And you see, there's no reaction, it's not over, but you know this is Smiley deciding whether or not to lie, what to do, how to handle it, and Gary Oldman does it by swallowing and then delivering the line. I mean, that stuff blows me away to see that captured so well. Um, So, that's where I am with the performance. I just thought it was absolutely ingenious, just with little moments like that, and how a character can be so active and impassive at the same time is is just almost miraculous to me. So I love the performance. So, so, and I also, as for the plotting, um, I haven't read the book. I haven't seen the, the BBC series. Uh, I, what I admired about what was presented here, uh, the writer, the, 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 the married couple that did the script, a woman named Bridget O'Connor uh, and her husband Peter Strawn, uh, they're playwrights. And I feel that shows so clearly in this adaptation, in this script. This movie is so intricate and, and, and deliberate and dense. I don't think there's a single scene, a single line that doesn't reveal something about a character or about the plot. And I feel that these playwrights have just done a masterful job taking what must have been very difficult source material and, and creating a, a really dense script. And I want to say Bridget O'Connor died last year of cancer, and it, there's something really tragic about the fact that she and her husband wrote this, and she never got to see it. Uh, so those, those are two things. I just loved Gary Oldman's performance, and however whatever was lost in the translation, I just feel that, that uh, O'Connor and Strawn... Uh, as playwrights, did a great job capturing the essence and, and, and creating something which I presume is kind of new uh, in terms of how, how the movie's presented and separate from the TV show and, and the book. 
that that whole contained thing that Oldman's doing is very true to, to his character book and the way it's written. And there's like a scene that uh, in the book that I was looking forward to, and it wasn't in the movie where he thinks Tar is the devil, and so he he tells him, uh, "Yeah, your networks are all blown, and Irene is dead." And he, and Tar goes nuts and punches him, and then after that. <laughs> He goes, okay, Tar's not the devil because that's exactly what I, what, I, what I would have expected him to do if he wasn't the devil. So, like, he's super calm. Like, he just played him super calmly, like he does with the minister in the one scene. Well, you know, there, he just turns it. Well, Dingus and I talked about uh, hearing something on Fresh Air about, I think it was on some NPR show before the movie came out, and they played a little clip of Alec Guinness. And Alec yeah. Guinness is talking to someone, and I remember this great sense of like thrusting and parrying and Alec Guinness feeling like a real detective. Uh, yeah. I, don't, I don't think that's what this, this character is about in this script that, that Strawn and O'Connor have written and that Thomas Alfredson has shot and that Gary Oldman's performance. I, I think of Smiley here as more of a, an observer. Um, and, and so much of the movie, like the movie kind of has that, that typical uh, reveal, like uh, revelation scene where the person understands and puts everything together. But the way Alfredson shoots that, the way it's presented in the movie, isn't this aha moment where there's one scene. It's a montage of Gary Oldman sitting and thinking, of swimming, of looking out the window. Yeah. And the reveal moment is shot from the back of his head where he's listening to Tar's testimony about how everything the circus has is shit. And he realizes that that's the point of witchcraft is to feed, you know, that's the reveal. And the next scene is him telling the minister that. And the way this reveal is, is expressed in movie language isn't like a single aha moment. It's this montage. And then Gary Oldman slightly turning his head so you can see his glasses. <laughs> and yeah. that's the aha. And then we cut to him explaining to the, the minister what's going on. Uh, so I get the sense that he is, and again, I use the word impassive, that he's more of, of an observer than a typical detective type in, in this movie. Um, he's almost more of a politician, actually, as far as British things are concerned, the way you're describing him. You know, just the way he works the system and that that moment of cruelty that, that you describe that is that ultimate moment for you where he uh, where he tells Ricky that he'll do his utmost, whatever it is, the line that he says. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are very, the, this is, uh, I don't mean politician in, in the way we're looking at the current, like, GOP debates, but, but being, poli- <laughs> opposite, being politically clever and um, ruthless. Well, you know, Dingus, I'm glad you put it that way, because I think the arc of the movie uh, is a disgraced man who's been run out of, I guess this is MI6, I don't know, they never yeah. use the term MI6, by the no. way, uh, but it's a disgraced man who's been run out of the circus. The arc of it is that from that to him reclaiming it. You know, the fact that the final shot is him sitting in John Hurt's chair in an empty room. I, I feel that's the point of the movie, is that this arc from him being run out after things go wrong at Budapest to getting back into that seat. And that is, you're right, Dingus, there's a lot of like like politics and maneuvering and betrayal and mistrust there. So, yeah, I, I agree with you in that sense. Uh, and I also, what I love about it, too, is as it presents espionage, you know, I get the sense of the Alec Guinness one with all the more, the more thrusting and parrying and investigating and stuff. Uh, I feel the way it presents espionage here, the larger picture of espionage in the movie, Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy, is... Uh, that it ultimately comes down to these aspects of the human condition, like weakness, betrayal, pride, love. You know, those are the things that make espionage work or not work. 
more so than investigation, than wiretapping, than going through files, uh, than, you know, any sort of James Bond stuff. You know, the fact that he keeps his gun in this little sealed plastic bag, like, I love the fact when he finally yeah. pulls that out, uh, you, you know, the espionage here is Smiley's insecurity about his own wife. And it, the espionage here is Carla tricking him into confessing that, you know, 20 yeah. years ago. Without uh, saying anything, even. Yeah, without saying anything. Uh, you, you know, espionage here is, uh, you, you know, it's, 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 witch, it's, it's Britain thinking that the point of witchcraft is them when really they're just pawns. They're a vehicle to get to America. You know, this sense of pride. Uh, espionage is the internal debate between uh, Smiley and Control and the other four guys about witchcraft. Uh, you know, it's espionage in a way, the same way that it's presented in one of my favorite movies from last year, In the Loop, where it's all a matter of these, these human foibles and how they express themselves in bureaucracy. And that movie was about espionage in relation to the invasion of Iraq. I feel like this is that, but set in the Cold War in, in Britain. Uh, uh, Which we now look back on with the nostalgia we used to reserve for World War II, because now even the Cold Wars. Uh, but Connie was saying, yeah, those were the days. <laughs> it was the war, Connie. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so um, so let, let's talk a bit about the, the direction then, because I, there were just so many touches that I thought, Alfred, it, Dingus, do you know how to pronounce, is it Alf, Alfredson? Alfredson? Uh, I would... I would pronounce it. Uh, I would pronounce it Thomas Alfredson. But Alfredson. I don't, okay, but I don't huh. know. I haven't listened to anybody pronounce it and tried to ape it. So I have to say, after "Let the Right One In" and this, I just I feel that this guy is the greatest thing to come out of Sweden since you know a bikini <laughs> or, or you know since Ingmar Bergman. I think I'll expert. say that. Yeah, Wait. there you go. Uh, I I just I I love the direction in this uh, from the fact like that party scene, the fact that he doesn't cut away from Gary Oldman's face you know the fact that we never see anna's face that we never see carla uh I, I love the way this was shot it was shot with the same cinematographer and the same editor from let the right one in i love the way it looked i love the editing i love the sound um and just and it, it grabbed me early on too with the scene where mark strong goes to uh to hungary from the establishing shot for instance of just the skyline of of budapest to the fact that the camera pulls back as these jets are rushing forward and then goes into an archway and you realize you're in some monastery or castle where children are playing. I mean, any other director, just shot of Hungary, let's go. Just the fact how dynamic that establishing shot was right into the scene with Mark Strong. Uh, I, I just loved the direction in this. Um, so, Dingus, did any of that grab you? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, what I've said is that I, I recognize a lot of this craft and i and and as i watched it again i'm sort of ticking off in my head i know i know this is going to work for tom i know this is going to work for kelly <laughs> uh the there there are things i really liked i liked um but but they're they're but they're not necessarily things that i can defend in the film and um uh like the the scene of the bee in the car for instance i, I mean i I get what that's going for and what that's supposed to tell us, but going to pick up the beekeeper feels like it feels like something that was in a mini series that would have been expanded because the that that F Murray Abraham looking character 
sort of just fades out, we just have this scene of a guy waving a bee out the window. Um, but but things like that, things like uh, smacking the owl down, things like chasing the car around the field, the, these are great flourishes. And I agree with you that he does a wonderful job of directing a lot of these things. Like, like Gary Oldman walking across the bridge, hearing the, the glass, the, the plate break, looking off to the side, and then we get this great edit to John Hurt in the hospital bed. Uh, I, I recognize all of these things as things people are going to like, but they just don't speak to me, and I can't really mm-hmm. tell you why. So I, I'm glad you mentioned both those scenes, because I want to explain to you why those both work for me. Okay, uh, good. I love the fact that John Hurt's death is intercut with Gary Oldman being fit with new glasses. You know, him as this idea is, is he's, he's kind of a watcher. You know, the, the, the control dies, and here Gary Oldman is with new glasses, about to be invited in to look anew at these people he worked with. Uh, I loved the intercut of those two details, thematically and the way that Alfredson shot them. But more to the point, I loved that B scene because, and, and maybe you felt this was heavy-handed, but I, I really feel that the way Gary Oldman reacts to the B versus the way uh, Mark Strong, Jim Prudeau, reacts to the burning owl, is they're, they're, they're a contrast, and they both end up, I think, kind of playing into how they respond to Colin Firth, to Jim Haddon. You, you right. know, uh, and I just, I, I didn't feel that was heavy-handed. I thought it was a great director's touch. I presume uh, the, the screenwriters, you know, that was part of what they contributed. But I loved how these little details, how they react to these trapped animals, uh, I love what that told us about their characters. Uh, and I, I thought they were both beautiful, incredibly well-shot scenes. You know, that scene where they're in the car, it almost looks like it's a rear projection thing. It clearly isn't. But I love that old 70s look there. Uh, and I love how uh, the two men, Mendel, the beekeeper, special forces guy, who you say he doesn't, he fades away. He's, a, I think he's a key scene in a really cool, in the only thing that passes for an action scene later on, where he's set up in the mechanic <laughs> to, to call nice. Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah. Like, I think Mendel is crucial. With ambience in the background. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and the way it's going through, you know, you see the way information flows through. That's another great thing about the movie, the way information flows through the circus, you know, through the woman listening. And she's just digging the music, you know, taking a transcript yeah. down. Uh, Which they the, knew she would. And those continual shots, too, of the files moving up the elevator and uh-huh. how you later realize these are being these are being shunted by all four of these men to witchcraft, you know, to Carla. That's where these this elevator is going. It is taking these files to Carla, and that is the reveal you discover over the course of the movie. So anyway, Dingus, that 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 bee scene and that burning owl scene. I mean, the fact that the owl was on fire, holy yeah. cats! That was so, that was just so beautiful to me. I mean, what a what a weird touch. Uh, uh, point of order uh, uh-huh. in the book, he does kill. Um, Hayden at the end by snapping his neck like the owl, which I thought was an awesome touch in the book. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of missed that at the end because I was kind of looking forward to seeing Colin Firth get, get his neck snapped <laughs> by that by Mark Strong. And he also was – he did this one – this is what's cool about the book is you get into sort of the process of being a spy. It's like he would mail things to himself and another teacher at the school – and then if they came at the same time, he'd know no one was reading his mail because there'd be like a few minutes difference before they'd be delivered together. <laughs> it's like a cheap way to, to, to find that out. Well, Can I, I ask you guys a quick question? Absolutely, yeah. Ask us a slow one. All right. <laughs> I could talk about this movie forever and the book I, forever. I could too, and so I may very it. well, yeah. So. But um, you're asked silly. <laughs> do you think uh, the audience of the movie – 
is supposed to be confused or in suspense about who the mole is slash and or who the lover is. Who who Smiley's wife's lover is and who the mole is. Do you think at the end we're supposed to be surprised as the audience of the movie only? Like I said in the book, you know the other characters a little better, so I don't know if that works in the movie. Like I don't know like I don't know if that works for Tom. I, I was Tom surprised. Tom often says uh he's he's always surprised, he never knows what's coming up, and I was I was wondering from his if from his point of view if that was ever clear or if he thinks it's supposed to be a surprising reveal. I, I thought that I, I knew exactly when the movie wanted me to know. Uh, and when so is- I, uh, well, well, the two different things that uh, that Colin Firth is having an affair with, with Smiley's wife, like you know that she's left him. You don't know that it's about an, an issue about infidelity until you get the flashback. She's left him many times, right? Right, that they've had problems, uh, but you don't know that it's, you know, I I found out exactly when the movie wanted me to, the flashback where you realize what that painting was that he's staring at in the credits, by the way. Uh, I I realized there were, and he sees Colin Firth putting his shoes on, that that was the the situation. Um, So I I didn't know before then, and I certainly didn't know, like, what was going to happen in terms of who was, who was the, who the mole was. Until the camera comes around and you see uh, Polyakov and the camera tilts around and you see Colin Firth sitting there. Uh, I didn't know until then either that he was the mole. Uh, and you don't hear his voice either. Did, did you? Right. Did you feel, Dingus, that that was like that that wasn't handled well, or, or did you feel that? Did you know in advance? Did you feel it was did, obvious? Before I answer that, did you like that reveal you just described? I like the way you described it. The way the way. Um, so uh, Peter Gwillem is crouching behind the stairs outside and he goes inside and that, and we're, we're, we're treated to the reveal through him basically. Do you right. like the way that's revealed? I did. Yes. And, and again, it was because I, I loved that, that scene. Uh, and that they weren't talking. I liked that. And that they weren't talking. And I loved the, the setup with Gary Oldman standing upstairs in his socks, eating yeah. a mint, listening to the uh-huh. footsteps. Yep. Uh, I, I mean, it, it was kind of cinematic trickery in that we don't get to see with Gary Oldman who it is when we find out who, who it is. But, yeah, I like that reveal from a, from a cinematic perspective, and it, it was a surprise to me. Like, the pieces fell into place at the appropriate time, I thought. Um, okay. So what, what makes you ask about that? Well, what, make, what makes me ask about it is because the, the way the um, – what I love – I think this film is beautifully edited. Mm-hmm. I, I love the editing of this movie, um, but it it lets me know, as far as I'm concerned, that party lets me know very early that that Colin Firth is that there's that there's a, there, there's a love triangle going on, not the one that you were talking about, but but that the the way the the couple the way that uh, Gary Oldman and his wife are sitting there and Colin Firth's looking at them and the looks make it clear what's going on early for me. Mm-hmm. And just I, I think, unfortunately, um, because of of his weight now as an actor, uh, uh, the idea of Colin Firth just in that very first scene in those. I mean, I love the production design in this movie, too. I mean, there's so much to love in this movie, and, and it pisses me off that that I'm not in love with it. Um, but those 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 tanks that they're in, the circus tanks, I don't know what you would call them, those those things, those sealed rooms they go into, they're so awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, 
when you first see Colin Firth, I, as far as I'm concerned, when we know that there's going to be a mole, I know it's going to be Colin Firth. I just know that that's <laughs> what's going to happen. So it was one of those spoilers by casting. Yeah, I just I just feel like it, it's not going to be that. Uh, it's going to be the that, least suspicious acting. It's not going to be the, that guy or that guy or that guy or that guy. It's going to be him. I know it's going to be him. So how are you going to reveal it to me? Um, so, <laughs> so that's. Uh, it. Your own intelligence is your cross to bear, Dingus. <laughs> but then you, but see, I would have thought that gone. No, that's too obvious because he's doing the wife. It wouldn't blah blah like it. No, but but Colin to... Colin Firth doesn't get to do anything else in the movie. I mean, he really doesn't do anything. That's the rushed and, thing. And then, um, you know, and then you know, he, he doesn't even get the cool uh, airplane scene. I mean, he, he gets that moment where he's revealed, which which again feels. Uh, and I I love hearing Tom describe it um because i like it more hearing tom describe it because to me it feels like i i missed out on on seeing smiley get to confront him instead i just see uh, oh dingus oh dingus <laughs> i know okay I know. well here, here you're, you're just setting off things that i gotta say dingus you say colin firth doesn't get to do anything the scene where uh where gary oldman arrives in the house and he's 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 busted him basically the shame on Colin Firth's face. You know, I think he knows he was supposed to seduce uh, Anne. You know, Carla told him to. But that weird, he gives him this weird smile and his eyes crinkle in this weird way. You know, what Colin Firth is doing with his face, I think is, it, it, the character isn't as, doesn't have the gravity of Gary Oldman's character, but I think it's every bit as good as what Gary Oldman's doing when he's looking at his wife at that party, that expression that he has. But more importantly, Dingus, the conversation they have in the detention center at the end, I, I mean, yeah. that to me... That the two of them, what they say to each other, and the uh, fact too, what the choice that Gary Oldman makes in that scene with Colin Firth, I feel is so important to his character. It's like one of these final clues about who is this smiley guy. You know, Colin Firth is trying to defend what he has done by saying, you know, the West is so ugly at this point. Uh, you know, uh, I, I made an aesthetic choice. Um, I'm not his errand boy. You know, I'm not Carla's errand boy. And when Gary Oldman, for the first and only time in the movie, raises his voice and then says, well, what are you, Bill? You know, I, the fact that he responds to Colin Firth's, I think, moral equivalency, uh, where he's comparing the Soviet Union to, uh, to the West during the Cold War, the fact that this is what finally gets him to yell at Colin Firth, I loved that. I mean, I thought that was such an important detail. Um, and and it was something that the two of them did together. You know, this was and and the, the, after that, he then turns away and says, "Is there anything you want me to say to Anne?" And you know that he then <laughs> drops it back down to that level. And I think he's maybe genuinely concerned about his wife. You know, is there anything that I should tell her? Uh, I, I loved that scene, and I thought two, the two of them were doing so much. Um, so I hate to hear you say Colin Firth didn't get to do anything. Uh, I don't mean that he didn't do wonderful things like you're talking about. I just mean that the character isn't that present in the movie. I mean, throughout Rushed. the movie. Well, do you feel he's any less present than the other four? Because I love, by the way, all I'd never seen David, I think his name is Denchik before, but I right. loved all of the four, the witchcraft faction. You know, Siren Hines as Bland, uh, Toby Jones, of course, always good as Percy Alleline. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, Colin Firth, of course, and David Denchik, because David Denchik got a great payoff. Uh, you know, that, again, there's nothing like an action scene in the movie, but if there were, this this stretch could pass for one. The uh, the threatening of 
of Toby Esterhaus to get him to reveal the location of witchcraft, from him going down the elevator and the door opening and Benedict Cumberbatch behind him to that really gratuitous long lens shot of the airplane landing behind yeah. him where they're going <laughs> to threaten to send him back to – Like the uh, model, the propeller. I, I loved that. Uh, and I, so I, I thought that – I, I, Kelly Wan, I think you're right about poor Syrian Hines not getting anything as Roy. They did so little with yeah. him. But as far as Colin Firth, uh, uh, Toby Jones, and David Denchik, I, I thought they did great stuff with all three of those guys. Um, well, I, I do too. But I think that, that the things they got to do were equal. I mean, that I mean, I love that that scene where Peter Gillum gets to go talk to the grown-ups and he tries to be all yes. <laughs> arrogant, yeah. and then he gets smacked down. And in in the in the great sort of the the action set piece of the movie where he's switching files, um, which we yeah. I mean, we've we've seen that kind of stuff before. That's fine. But but I mean, I think they all get to do the same stuff. And they all do it very, very well. But for me, knowing that that's Colin Firth, uh, last year's best actor, I know that he's going to be the dude. I, I don't know the story well enough. I've seen, you know, I've, I, I yeah, said I, I've seen um, the the television show. I, it's been years, but I wouldn't have been able to tell you that this guy, Bill, Bill, unpaid Bill, or Bill is Bill is the actual mole. But knowing it's Colin Firth next to David Denchik and Siren Hines. And Toby Jones, I know it's going to be Colin Firth. I mean, See, I it has to be him. Yeah, my casting spoiler would have been that it would be Toby Jones. Like, I would have thought. I, I really? actually. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Because he, he, Toby Jones plays villains. Like, yeah, he's, but that's he's too, a snivelly yeah, little exactly. villainous Toby guy. Jones plays villains. villains. That's the point. Man, you guys are crazy with your second guessing. So the only second guessing I did, the only guessing I was like, oh, I bet I know where they're going to go, is I thought Gary Oldman was going to be the mole. I was like, oh, they're going to do a no way out kind of thing. Uh, and I'm glad they didn't. But that was the only thing. I, yeah, and you know what? I'm just slower than you two. So there. I'm glad. But, 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 well, I knew there's a trilogy about him and Carl. It doesn't really matter to me whether or not that's revealed. I was just I was just curious about that. Right. So, so l- let me ask you now about all the Jim Prideaux at the mm-hmm. boys' school stuff, mm-hmm. because the, the whole that that kid, that Bill, that unpaid Bill dude that he that he befriends Don't in the shop and running around with the car and all that stuff. Can you help me with that? Because you know, Tom, you, you said uh, earlier on in praising the screenwriters that mm-hmm. I mean, every every single scene is, is vital and shows character and, and all of that, which is great a great thing to say, but. But some of those scenes, like, there, there are a number of scenes for me, and, and I just rewatched Let the Right One In, and I don't think there's a moment in Let the Right One In that shouldn't be in. Um, and in, in, um, in Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, I don't feel that way. Uh, so, so help me with some of this Jim Prado stuff. Well, when you say help you, like, uh, what would you, like, so obviously well, I mean, part of what Facing a car around a field or what? He notices the guy's not watching it. Right, the reveal there. The reveal there is that Gary Oldman has tracked him down and is coming to talk to him. Uh, he sees Gary Oldman first, and he he outs him like he's Prado is is a good enough spy that even Gary Oldman can't sneak up on him. Uh, Prado is also uh, ultimately a, a caring kind of sentimental person you know he's kind to the outcast boy he feels deeply towards uh towards his friend you know uh jim haddon uh like like maybe lover and you know what that that too like the fact and i'm okay with that not being answered but the the nature of their relationship uh i just thought mark strong did it did a great job with that that when the little you know, it was like the little fat kid from fat, from Bad Santa bringing That's him a it. wooden bringing him a wooden pickle. I don't know what he made for him, but you know the, the scene <laughs> where 
Yes, looked, you take her off right there. Yeah, it looked like a boot scraper or something, but it did make me think of the kid with a wooden pickle and then bad Santa. Uh, but the fact that, you know, he's, uh, that he runs him off after, after that, you know, that, that he's around children, that he's back in this world of naivete and, and youth and innocence, you know, that that's where he comes out of being tortured. Uh, and by the way, the, uh, the way they underplayed that torture, just leaving that to your imagination, yeah. what he must have gone through was fantastic. And that he goes from that, you know, the worst of the world of espionage to youth and innocence. I thought it was a beautiful touch. Uh, so, so that's part of why I guess that worked for me, Dingus, I think. Um, and that the kids could see that there was some brutality there. You know, when he kills the burning owl. Uh, yeah. And it's also, as far as information, the fact that he's up in front of a class teaching them French. When he yeah. writes, Je m'appelle Monsieur Ellis, you know, that's a bit of information because we have just heard that his pseudonym, one of his pseudonyms where Smiley has recovered right. a payment was made, was to Jim Ellis. Like, I, I think that in the context of, you know, we're going to have a guy teach school, what better way to have him write his name up on the board in big letters for the audience? I just thought it fits so well. Um, yeah. I don't speak French. Oh, yeah, yeah, but Ellis, you know, you got that. Right. So. <laughs> in the so, book, uh, the, Buda, the, the Budapest incident super more badass. It's like this night drive, and it's in the snow to this lodge, and he gets the drop on them, and it's just this big gunfight. So there's like this big action scene they didn't put in the movie. And I'm so glad, too, because that was one of the, you know, that scene right there before you really know what's going on, where it's just two people at a table looking at each other, and why is the waiter so nervous, and what is this woman doing over here nursing a baby, and the way that Budapest, they do these subway sounds, the rumbling in the subway, it's almost like the city is breathing. It's like it's like breath in and out. I love the way that scene was shot. And the way people look, but they look like they're not looking, like they just happen to be looking that direction right then. Yeah, yeah. And that you find out, of course, I mean, that Carla was there the whole time. Right. Uh, I love that touch. Uh, it was a setup to doom control. Well, that's so among the questions that I have are, was there really a, a general wanting to defect? You know, why did control? No. Well, no. why did why? I didn't think so. That, that Otherwise, Carla wouldn't be there. Carla was there right. hoping that they would send over an agent and they would capture him. Disgrace uh, control. Kill. Yeah. So and then he elevates Percy to head honcho and then well, right because it. he is right he is witchcraft and he wants yeah. witchcraft to take over the circus and so right. he needs to get out the anti witchcraft faction which is specifically Smiley and Control yes. uh, so I, I love the fact by the way that all of this is is a, a faceless person you know in another nation I mean that just felt uh. so fantastic the way they did that but why did uh, Control think there was a mole? Where did that come from? Because presumably Ricky Tar gets the information from the Russian woman, cables it to control, and it's, it cables it to the circus, and it, it gets intercepted, the message, right? So why did control think there was a mole? That's not clear in the book either because he, okay. he tells Prideau that. Right. Uh, and I'm okay with that. Like I'm okay not yeah. knowing, but that's something that I wondered if maybe I missed, uh, and I didn't need to know that, but uh, that's that's one of the, the lingering questions I sort of had. Uh it's sort of a where you got to pay attention constantly to make sure you're you're up to speed. Well, this, I mean, and that's that's also why I say, you know, every scene, and maybe there's some hyperbole there. I, I don't, I'm sure you could poke a hole in that dingus if you wanted to, but that's why I say <laughs> that every scene or every line has some, imparts some bit of information or some reveal, because it is so dense. I, I mean, you, this is really a movie that is, I, 
I freely grant it's a challenging movie, uh, but I think the the reward is just so commensurate to like how much attention you pay to it. You know what it will return. I think is is uh, as far as like how closely you watch it. It's just so it was so gratifying to me. And the answers are there. And compared to a lot of movies we've seen, where I like say Meek's Cutoff or other movies where I, I thought it ended too soon, like by the end of. This movie, you kind of know where everybody stands. Well, that's why I you say know, who's it's, alive, who's dead. Yeah, it's clearly an arc. You know, it's an arc right. about, about this disgraced man getting back into the chair where he was kicked out of. And the fact is, none of the people that were there before, you know, he's now in an empty room. Uh, yeah, like all the stuff is is wrapped up. And it, for instance, it doesn't tell us that Toby Esterhaus was indeed sent back to, I think it was Vienna, and probably arrested or, or shot, because we don't need to know that. You know, that's right. clear enough. The fact that he's in no more scenes, they put him on that plane. I'm confident right. that that's what the movie wanted us to think, and it didn't even oh, yeah, tell yeah. us that. Yeah, you know that. I that, think when you see Peter uh, Peter at the luggage part of the plane, then that's what's going on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, they didn't need to show us him being garroted and kicking out the windshield and them not forgetting the cannolis. You know, we didn't need all of those details. They just cut past it, and, and we knew. There's scenes in the book where Smiley goes to the other guys, to uh, Toby and Roy, and Luol Control's still alive and tries to, like, enlist them, and then they all just tell him to fuck off one by one. But you get to know their personalities a little better. That way. Right. Uh, and I feel we didn't need that. I mean, that... Would have been, I, I, can, I can see what more you could get out of this by making a miniseries or writing in a novel. Right. But, but as far as, like I say, as far as this how direction. Bridget O'Connor and Peter Strawn put it into a, a, a script, I just thought they just they, they made really good economic choices, it seems to me. Um, uh, let's talk a little bit about Tom Hardy. So, Tom Hardy fights a Minotaur in a movie called Minotaur. <laughs> oh, hold on. Hey. <laughs> When M- well, I got it. <laughs> In this movie, he fights. Hmm. He fights uh, uh, Peter Gilliam. He fights Benedict Cumberbatch and loses. <laughs> How did you guys feel about that? <laughs> he gets his. Butt- I felt. I felt great about it because uh, that was my favorite character in this movie, Benedict Cumber uh, Peter Gilliam. I love that guy. Where okay, so where yeah. let's let's talk about where is that guy from? Because he got so much to do in this movie too, and I don't think I'd ever seen him before. I noticed that he's playing Smog in the Hobbit movie. <laughs> yeah, how about what? that? Yeah. What the hell? I'm sure, I'm sure, awesome. I presume some makeup will be involved. Uh, but I love that guy. Where did he come from? And yeah, wasn't he awesome? That guy's Smog. He's the, is Smog. That's yes, he's listed as the voice of Smog and also playing the role. I don't know if they'll do. Uh, motion capture or whatever, but uh, yeah, that that guy is smog. Interesting. I liked him. Well, he's red haired and smog's red, so that makes there sense. you go. Uh, like I love, uh, you know, he got to be. He sort of got the flashiest performances, like his breakup with his lover, which I loved that little reveal. Uh, I loved where it fit in the story. Uh, you know, after that fantastic Gary monologue. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, when he says he, he and by the way, God, this line. And again, this is why I am so glad I feel that Bridget O'Connor and Peter Strawn is writing a script. I mean, just so many of the lines crackled, and then at times, lines would be like a, a, a gut punch. And for me, the line that was like a gut punch was after Gary Oldman's monologue about how much he reveals to Carla. Uh, Peter Gilliam says to him, what did he look like? And Gary Oldman says, I can't remember. 
God, that what an amazing line. And then after he says that, he gets up and he turns away and he says to, to Peter Gilliam, uh, if you have any affairs that need to be tidied up, now is the time to do them. And then Peter Gilliam knows that he, you know, he goes home and he breaks up with his boyfriend. You know, he tells the, and you find out he's gay, that he's presumably in a loving relationship, and that he runs the guy off because he knows what he's in for. That he he has to make that choice. Uh, so he gets uh. that great scene, and he gets the scene where uh, he he lashes out at Ricky Tar, and then I love that he later asks Gary Oldman. Why didn't you tell me he was in town? It's a long shot from across the street. Gary Oldman doesn't even have to say anything. <laughs> you know, and he immediately, and he realizes on his own, and Thomas Alfredson knows he can afford this in a long shot. He's like, oh, because you, you thought I might not make it out of the circus. Uh, right, right. They, they just gave that guy so much great stuff yeah. and so good, I, I thought. And the layered, the layered dialogue there is wonderful. I love that his lover or his boyfriend or his companion says, you know, if there's somebody else you can yeah. tell me, I'm a grown-up. And that word grown-up comes ah. up right after he's been in with those guys in the circus who say, look, if he says a peep to you, you come to the grown-ups. Very right, nice. Right, 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 right. I mean, I just love that kind of layered dialogue. And that, that character, you know, I've seen, you know, a couple of things that annoyed me about this, this movie is that, that, you know, that, that scene that you love in Hungary, Tom, uh, at the cafe feels like a Mission Impossible scene to me. You know, the, the drop of sweat dropping on the table or or the scene where peter Gwillem is stealing the file they, they, all these feel like mission impossible scenes to me but the the way he plays them uh, makes me love those those scenes and makes me lo- I, I just love that guy i don't know who he is but i hope he does more work because that character is my favorite character in this movie yeah, and what a striking face too. I mean, that he just had an amazing, one of those amazingly British faces. Yeah, uh, and I love the fact too that during the uh, Mission Impossible file stealing scene, uh, you know, Bridget the blonde who they had been admiring <laughs> earlier, who's yeah. obviously taken with him, he doesn't respond to her at all. Not yeah, yeah. because he's a cool customer necessarily, but because that's not the way he goes. <laughs> you know, right. I love that little detail. And then uh, he gets to go and beat the crap out of Tom Hardy. That is awesome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that he comes in and, and he just gets the whale on him. I really, that was so satisfying. So, Dingus, you obviously want to see Tom Hardy get beat up? Uh, only by um, uh, Bunder, Snatter, Natch, and Minotaur. <laughs> and Minotaurs. Those guys. Well, he doesn't get beat up the Minotaur. He kicks the Minotaur's ass, I just want to yeah. say. He also beats up Tony Todd. What do you think of that? Uh, um, my audience, uh, the audience members next to me really loved Tom Hardy, but they only loved him in Inception, not in this. <laughs> <laughs> well, they should dream a little bigger, darling. <laughs> uh, so how did you guys feel about the uh, the little Tom Hardy sequence? Because it's a little, it's a, it's kind of a, a diversion. You know, we go to Istanbul, we get the little love scene. Uh, he's a very different kind of agent. Um, were you guys okay with that? Well, how about for sense of place? Did you feel like yeah. that worked? Yes, all right. Because, yeah, Kelly Wand, how about you? Yeah, it's the same thing. I find everything about their jobs was interesting to me in the book and the movie. Like the way they scope, join, the way when they can tell something's wrong, like the telltale things. They're like, wait, he wouldn't be that drunk. And where would be his security guys? Right. But and you were okay with that being like, so for Sense of Place, Dingus, I presume you asked, because there's no super gratuitous, like Istanbul. They did shoot in Istanbul, by the way. Uh, but there, there's no gratuitous, like, overbearing, this is Istanbul, and we're going to show signs written in 
they even speak Arabic? I think there's a, there's their own language in Turkey, but uh, they they don't. Uh, it's it's not too over the top with like showing you Istanbul. Uh, so I presume is that what you're asking about, Dingus? Is that you feel like it was it didn't establish a very good sense of place? No, no, I, I did. I love the production design and the okay. and the sound design is wonderful too. I mean, you hear. I mean, he talks about them as in the calls to prayer and that type of thing. And that, and yeah. I think all of that works. But I was wondering if because because with him we have him there, we have him in Paris, we have him um, in the in the hotel apartment. So I'm wondering how you guys felt about that particular part. And I love that detail, too, the fact that he remembers the time that that Control finally sent a cable back to him because he could hear the call to prayer. I mean, just that attention to detail right there, I think, is far better than – not far better. But but for me, that works just as well as an establishing shot of the city, I I think. It's also cool to see, like, a young Turk, like – a lo- like a guy starting out, like the guy smiley yeah. in his 20s kind of guy. Like, this is how you are then. Like, he makes mistakes and stuff. And but I he's love, still competent. And I love the allusion to the fact that they have a longer relationship. When he's, And it's only, the, I can only think of the one line where he says to Gary Oldman, you've always told me to trust my instincts with regards to women. Right. It's you know, protege. the fact that, first of all, that, that that's the advice that yeah. he gives the boy, that he gives uh, Tom Hardy. <laughs> considering. Uh, and, exactly, considering. And that that implies that they talked at that level. It, it's Right. Uh, I, I love that. And that Smiley talks like that with his protégés. Yeah. Gives yeah. him woman advice. And that he says she wasn't even my type. I mean, there's there's yeah. so many things that I feel like we don't know about these people. And I like that, too. Uh, were you guys okay with the scene where he pulls out the compact and is shining the light in her face? No. See, because I love that. Dingus, what, why, are you, why do you have a heart of stone, Dingus? Because I am stony. <laughs> You really didn't like that? So there's one scene where uh, they're just sitting there, and it's before she reveals that she knows who he is and that she wants to defect, where they're just sitting there while he's in, you know, he's playing like the businessman in love, and he pulls a compact out of her purse, and she, she sort of reacts like, what are you doing with my purse? And he pulls a compact out, and he's just shining the light off the mirror into her face. And Thomas Alfredson just shoots the woman's face with her kind of, you know, with that. that well, not annoyed. I mean, she's kind of enjoying it. And then... Uh. And then she takes the compact from him. She says, I know who you are. I want to defect. Um, they, I just loved that. It was, it, you know, you, if you, the movies is, it, you could say the movie's rushed, but the fact that it takes time for little touches like that, I just really appreciated. Uh, I enjoyed that, that, that scene with the compact. Thing is, why didn't you like it? Because it did feel like, what, indulgent or didn't need to be there? Too Mission Impossible yeah. for Dingus. <laughs> so it just, I, I, like, I like that. That structure, but it, I don't know. It's not working for me. I mean, there are things in this that, that feel like we've seen, and, and that's why I'm kind of glad that we have a, a uh, source material expert with us right now. Uh. Um, because it, in a way, I, I kind of got to feeling like, you know, why do we need a Cold War Syriana? Why do we really need that? Why are you doing this to us? I mean, to, <laughs> I mean, I really love, uh, the way, um, Thomas Offerton directs Let the Right One In. I think that's, uh, a great use of his talents, and I, and as 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 many of the parts of this that I like, I don't know why he's wasting his. Uh, that's wow. I shouldn't say wasting. I, I don't know why he's using his time to remake this television series and book from the Cold War. I don't know why we need this because they're cool. Using his talents for other things. I mean, it's nice that they're cool and that. Um, Jean Le Carré said to him, uh, "It's already been made. Make your own thing now." Eh, it's all very nice, but. Well, why? You know, you know the compact. I mean, uh, we've just seen like the draw, the waiters. Uh, we've seen these things. I don't know why he did this. 
Uh, I, I'll take a crack at that. Uh, so you, you call it a Cold War Syriana, and while I don't necessarily disagree, I think Dingus, it's more fair to call Syriana a modern-day Tinker Toler. Taylor soldier spy. <laughs> uh, so, but I don't disagree with the sentiment necessarily. Uh, I, I recently rewatched, actually recently, I, after seeing this, I rewatched um, uh, Constant Gardener, which I recalled really liking. It's directed by the uh, Brazilian director Fernando Marias. God, I'm going to screw up his name. He did the thing about the kids in, what was it, City of Hope, City of Joy, City of, City God. of God. City of God, yes. Oh, the same guy did the music for that. Yeah. Uh, and he also did Blindness, which I really liked. So Constant Gardener is based on a John le Carre novel, uh, and it has some of the same themes in a way. Like a lot of it is about uh, Ray Fine's insecurity about infidelity about his wife. Like that figures prominently into the into the story. Uh, and it didn't. It, it's got a. It's got a lot of energy to it. You know, where there's a lot of sort of methodical slow stuff in Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. A lot of slow camera movement. A lot of like. Cold War, everything seems cigarette-stained. Uh, uh, Constant Gardener is set in Africa. It's flashy. Mareas, God, I wish I knew how to pronounce his name. He uses a handheld camera a lot. There's so much color in it. It's much more about passion. It's not about a spy. It's about a diplomat and pharmaceutical companies. Um, but So I watched it. It's okay. It's not as good as I remembered it. I do enjoy it. But there's a little part where there's an interview with John le Carre talking about uh, how he feels about the differences between his novel, Constant Gardener, and the movie, which apparently have very little in common. And John le Carre, for who, by all rights, should be able to be a crotchety old man who wants nothing to do with Hollywood, seems to clearly understand uh, that there are two very different things going on. Yeah, milieu, Kelly Wands. Uh, Kelly Wands, very good with the French Kelly Wand. But what he said, and this is a quote, uh, and I think this gets at what... Thomas Alfredson is wanting to do with Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. What John le Carre says in this interview on the Constant Gardener CD uh, is that the job of a movie is to take the minimum of intention from the novel and to illustrate it with the maximum of freedom in movie language. Uh. And so I feel that here's this novel That's about good. how espionage is really built on the foundations of human weakness and exploiting them. And by golly dingus, I don't know about you, but I feel that that is an incredibly relevant theme in, the wake, of, in, the, in the wake of the invasion of Iraq. Uh, you know, for me personally, that's like a sort of a, 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 a pet theme of mine. You know, that's why I loved In the Loop. So I feel that here is an older story about that. And that Thomas Alfredson uh, takes John le Carre's novel and takes the intent of that and uses the maximum of movie language freedom. And he's been – Alfredson's been doing movies and TV in Sweden for 20 years. You know, he's no he, – you can see his craft. So I feel that he took that intention of the novel and he wanted to make it with this, you know, movie freedom. And he pressed into service these two very, very skilled playwrights. Because I loved the script, as well as his cinematographer and his editor from Let the Right One In. So I kind of feel that would be my answer to, you know, why would he make this old, you know, why would he pick up this old novel when there's so many other things he could be doing? That's kind of how I would respond to that. And I don't know if I dodged your question, but there there you go. No, I, I think that's a, a valuable and valid answer. I really do. I, I just don't. I don't think it speaks to me the way it speaks to you. And not in the way that in the loop. Uh, does what you're just describing. Mm-hmm. Okay, sure. Uh, let's talk about... Wait, before we talk about that, uh, let me just ask you guys about music. 
um, because because uh, Tom talking about Constant Gardner reminded me that um, Alberto Iglesias, I think, did the music for both films, both movies, uh, Constant Gardner and this. Mm-hmm. And then they, they did this weird thing with La Mer at the end. And I want to ask you guys if if the music makes any impact on you at all, and in particular, that weird choice, for me weird, of, of choosing um, Beyond the Sea, uh, sung by uh, Julio Iglesias, actually, at the end, if that makes, if, if any of the music does anything for you or if it turns you off or turns you on or anything. Uh, it worked for me in the same way that him remembering the Christmas party and him remembering, you know, how his wife's infidelity and his own suspicion and surprise at discovering that, you know, remembering something played at a cheesy Christmas party as being a, a crucial moment. Uh, you know, he can't remember what Carla looks like, but he remembers when he saw his wife making out with, with someone. Uh, I, I presume he knew that that was uh, Bill Haddon at the time. You know, he remembers that moment. So that that's what's playing on during the clim- climactic moments. That th- that's the music in, that we're sort of hearing. That's the, the, uh, sort of the emotional state of the main character. I thought that worked for me very well. Uh, Kelly, how do you feel about the music in this movie? Julio Iglesias? La Mer. Yeah, how about that? Wait, he wasn't alive in 73. <laughs> uh, I don't know that... I think he was playing someone. He was singing as a character who would have been alive in 73. What do you think of that? Is that the kind of music that uh, Smiley would listen to? Well, that's the, that's their thought. That's what that's that's why they chose that, that version of the song, is that they thought that's what he would be listening to, and that's not at all what you would hear in MI6. I mean, this is a divorced of the world of MI6. This is what Smiley would listen to himself. And I've heard La Mer in so many movies. I love that song. Um, it just seems a weird choice at the end. Well, you you wonder, would Smiley listen to that, or would Smiley's wife be playing it a lot, and therefore he would listen to it? Right, like, and then it's, uh, oh, it's her song. Yeah, I kind of feel that way. The fact that he uh, he is so... The fact that that painting is hanging in the house, that he never took it down, and that he stands there and stares at it, and that Bill hadn't claimed to bring it over because he thought that Anne was partial to it, even though he didn't like it, and it gets hung up. Like, these little details are like little puzzles, you know? This is music that is in his head, and did it come from his wife? You know, this is the painting that he stares at when he gets up in the morning that is a symbol of his wife's infidelity. Uh, I, I love these little touches. You know, here's a, here's another thing, and again, this is just... I. This is where we've seen this kind of movie before, yes, Dingus, but I don't think we've seen it done with this much just craft before. The scene where Gary Oldman gets pressed into service, you know, he's been dismissed, he's retired now. Uh, Oliver Lacan, who, by the way, Simon McBurney, I love that actor, the guy who plays, like, the minister's right-hand man. He's just so supercilious. Like, I love that guy. He's, like, so snaky. Oh, I, I love uh, him. He reminds me of Roman Polanski. For some yes, reason. exactly. I, I remember the first time seeing him thinking, is that Roman Polanski? But, yeah. So uh, the scene where Ricky Tarr contacts Oliver Lacan, he says, you know, I'm here. If you don't believe it's me, I was working under Peter Gilliam. Check with him. And then you have Peter Gilliam getting a phone call. And then we cut to Gary Oldman sitting in his house watching some TV show. And the way he is sitting on one side of the couch as if to make room for where his wife would sit. Yeah. <laughs> Very primly. And and if you listen, he's watching some show where some woman is reminiscing about uh, – how Winston Churchill saved her life. And I, I don't know what's going on there. I don't yeah. know if it's supposed to be a serious documentary or if it's just some b- 
batty old dingy English housewife talking. I don't know what the show is supposed to be, uh, but he he's sitting there watching it, uh, and there are two knocks, and his head turns very slowly, and then we cut to him in the car. God, I loved that. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. just that, that stuff is just fantastic. So, yeah, maybe he does watch silly TV, listen to sentimental songs, and hang bad art in his house. You know, <laughs> that's fine with me. I love that about him. <laughs> but he's thinking all the time. So, Kelly Wan, having read the book, uh, were there any differences that you disagreed with or that you thought uh, huge losses from the book or anything new that wasn't in the book? Uh, the two Prado things I mentioned before, uh, the strangling, by the way, I do like the idea of like the, you, you know, I think, uh, Christoph Waltz has talked about at the end of a, a strangling scene in Inglorious Bastards and the intimacy of that kind of a murder. Yeah. I, I, I kind of would have liked to have seen that in, uh, at the end of Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy, but I can understand why it's like a sniper rifle. You know, we have a character early on looking through optics when Smiley's getting fitted with glasses. Right. Uh, and the fact that you have to, like, remotely kill someone. You know, there's a lot of things being done to people from this sort of faceless perspective. And the fact that he has to, like, look through a sniper rifle and see Bill Haddon, uh, that worked for me. Uh, it bugged me, but did he see him back? It looked like, yes. Like, they were definitely making eye contact. Uh, I don't know about Because then I get a metal, and then I try to picture it in long shot. And it's hard for me to visualize, like... They wouldn't see the same detail. <laughs> well, I don't think he was that far away. Like, I don't think it was necessarily. Why does he need the? All right. I think that's. I think that's Mark Strong's imagination, because he's right. remembering that moment where they shared that look at the party. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's more him seeing through the scope and imagining that. Oh, okay. And I love, too, how it wasn't necessarily clear whether that was a, a revenge killing or a mercy killing. Um, you know, I think you get if you if you think if you of, strangle them though, that's a I think that's killing. that's letting that's letting the bee out the window. Well, you know, or or is it or is it mercy killing the owl? I mean, I, I don't know, Dingus. Oh, uh, that's a good point, actually. Uh, and and I don't think you know if he did he feel betrayed. You know, he didn't know, and that's the thing too about you know you say that Colin. Well, that's unfair for me to call it, but, but one of the things that uh, that is going on with Colin Firth's character. And you can wonder, is this something he's thinking? Is he playing with this in this scene? You know, he is the one who called Carla and said, you know, an agent is coming. Because Jim uh. holds before he left. Look, I've got this mission. I don't think Control suspects you guys. I don't think there's any. I think he's crazy, but I've got to go to Hungary and do this mission. You know, he only told Jim Haddon that. Then Jim Haddon tells Carla, and Carla is waiting for him there. Right. You know, I, the fact that he... Hadden obviously cares about Prado because he gets him back, by the way. Right. You know, he's the one, he does what it, whatever it takes to get Prado spared and sent back, even though he's the one who turned him in. Right. Like, I love the dynamics of that, even though the actors never get a scene where they talk about it. You know, I think they're, as actors, they're all good enough that they can wear that. You know, they can wear these actions and these decisions they've made. And that's ultimately part of why I loved it, is that it's a movie about human choices. You know, it's not about gadgets. It's not about a MacGuffin. It's about people. It's about the decisions they make and the fallout of those decisions uh, and how they relate to each other. Well, that's actually great because that make, that means Bill is at the house and, and inter- intercepts the call not by chance, but he's waiting for that call. I mean, he's, he's at uh, Smiley's ah. house with Anne. Because he knows that call is going to come right, in, right, right, or it could come in, and so it's not just he happens to intercept it and then goes in. 
he's waiting for it. Right. And he also knows that that's when Hay- that's when he realizes Hayden's the mole too, is because he would know more he says he went to the club, but then he would know that Frodo had been captured already if he had. I don't think he does know that Hayden's the mole at that point. I don't think he knows Hayden's the mole until he he captures him. In the book he in knows. The, in witchcraft. My 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 take is that Carla's theory worked. Is when Carla says to Bill Hayden, if you seduce George Smiley's wife, it will blind him. Uh, and as as Gary Oldman says during their their confrontation with the detention center, to a point. Uh, right. But yeah. I, I don't think that uh, I think it works. I think Carla, who's driving most of the events of this movie, is ultimately successful. Uh, like the up to a point. To a point, exactly. Uh, so I, I, my, what I sort of got from this is that Gary Oldman didn't know who the mole was going to be until he was able to trap him at that, that witchcraft house. Uh, and I love touches like the fact that, y- you know, the British are paying to fund house. this program, this house, and it's it's Carla, that Carla is yeah. witchcraft. It's like Scanner Darklight. They think they're getting the cream yeah. and turning in shit, but it's the other way around. Yeah. Uh, it's genius. Uh, what are other movies that this reminded you of? So, so me, Dingus, uh, go, go ahead. It made me think of Osterman Weekend a little bit, but also because John Hurt was in it, maybe. <laughs> you know, I know so little of, I guess, those old kind of, is that a spy thing or a thriller? Yeah, I, yeah. I don't know a lot it's of those based movies. a novel, and like Rutger Howe's like a talk show host. What? And <laughs> one of his friends. Yeah, I know. He's like David Letterman. <laughs> He's the hero of... Uh, an espionage threat. And Craig T. Nelson's like a black belt. What? Friend. Uh, what? <laughs> You're making this up. I swear. Seen this? You're it's totally like inventing this. RV, and they have his family, so he has to figure out which of his friends is the spy or something. So they have an Osterman weekend. Oh. You know, I do. I, 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 I've, never, no, I've never seen this, but I think I do know what you're talking about now. Uh, John Hurt's the other guy. Spoiler alert. All right. Okay. Uh, did it remind you guys at all? I mean, it has a lot in common with Good Shepherd. Uh, I didn't see that. I don't, no, I, don't, I didn't necessarily care for it. But as far as trying to do this sort of impassive performance about the ruthlessness of, of the cold ruthlessness of the espionage world, I, I think Good Shepherd was going for something similar. Uh, oh, in the book, by the way, Prideau never encounters the Russian girl. Like, that's, like she's long gone by then. That, that does feel tacked on to me. <gasps> that that murder, I I can't. It just feels so book. weird. It's so the. Do you know? Do you do you recognize her? <laughs> and we're gonna shoot her. And now tell uh, tell Adeline we did this. And, and I feel like Mark should go. Could you tell me her name? So yeah. Wait. Like, why would I care? He doesn't. Know. Then I'll I'll tell him. But what, what's her name? Wait. Hold on. See, I, I think that would be perfectly clear, is that the fact that they executed a blonde woman in front of him and that during the debriefing, because when he goes back, you know, that you know that's that's part of the process of being repatriated into England, is that they're going to go over all of that. And the fact that, that someone in control knows that a blonde woman, you know, that, that a woman that Ricky Tar was going to bring in with the name of the mole, you know, I, I think Carla knew that that would clearly be a connection that the woman who was going to bring in the name of the mole had been executed personally by Carla. I, I mean, I don't, I don't know what you mean necessarily by tacked on, but it, it felt like it fit perfectly to me. And that, by the way, we hear Carla. You know, we hear him saying to Jim Prideau, uh, you know, do you recognize her? Tell them what you've seen. 
Uh, it just felt like it felt like like Carla sort of gloating. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's driving everything that's going on, and furthermore, he's going to personally kill their only hope of finding out the mole. Uh, I loved that, uh, and it was but brutal. Like, it I, it no, is uh, brutal. It's it's very like it reminded me of that moment in in um, in cachet. Actually, I mean, it's it's brutal. But it's it's not definitive in any way because it's not like the Russians can't dye somebody's hair blonde. I mean, it, it's it it just feels like a setup for us to be able to see how cruel smile. It's more is. for us than for the characters. Yeah, I think this is. Yeah. The thing about the, the book too is Smiley. He's like a lot of him is just going through documents and like he finds the documentation about the house and he finds all these Percy writings, the stuff that Gwilym smuggles them out. And he finds this one document where uh, Hayden first encounters Prado, and Prado's like his protege. And so it just says Smiley never got sick of rereading that thing because it's like, oh, I love this kid. He's gonna he's gonna go far with the company. <laughs> so they didn't have to bribe. Uh, they didn't have to threaten Esterhouse with sending him back to to Vienna to get the address of witchcraft. No, they needed. Uh, well, he gives up something else. Okay. He gives them the address, I think. Isn't that what it? Right, right, right. That's how they find out where right. the house is. He knows where, where the. Yeah, he knows it exists, but he doesn't know where it is. Oh, I they, see. Right. They, right. they finger Toby. Right. Uh, and I also like the reveal, too. I mean, again, it's. You know, you don't see the actors necessarily reacting or talking about it, but the fact that. Uh, that Smiley was suspected by Control as being one of the, the five traitors. Yeah. You know, I, Gary Oldman's reaction to that. I, I love that. Yeah. Um, are there also, other movies that? Oh, go ahead, Kelly. Just like uh, I like a lot of scenes where, um, like when they get to the house and the landlady is in on it, like Mrs. McCraig, and she just tells them like what's this? How the microphones work? Da 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 da. This is right. the space. <laughs> and the way Gary Oldman's body language suggests, I'm in no threat from her. Like he just kind of walks around. Like they don't. You don't really see like what they do with her. Like do they? tie her up or put him somewhere but it's just like it's not even worth his considering because he knows it's like a level nine threat or something i loved i loved her because she's like dog dog quiet (laughs) right right. well i got the impression she just lives there during the day that it's just a house and she's sort of minding it uh and and it's not unusual to her that one of the high level mi6 guys is coming to to use it uh russian general that they think is their guy but right uh, well, and I love that touch, too, you know, is that, that Connie, and by the way, how about Kathy Burke, uh, that, that Connie was dismissed because she correctly fingers right. Polikoff, who is the the, uh, the the guy who they give the intel to at the house, and by the way, that all four of them are going there. Yeah. You know, that it's not just just one of them, because you can't... I remember watching the second time, and you see someone taking files out of the, uh, the, the cabinet and putting them in an attache case, thinking, okay, are we going to see uh, Colin Firth's ring? <laughs> and at that point, it doesn't matter because they're all bringing stuff to the right. house. You know, It's sort of like at the end of Murder of the Orient Express, you find out they're all the murderer. It's not a matter of who's going to the witchcraft house. They're all in on it right. uh, You know, because witchcraft is Carla. Uh, you know, and then the mole is something kind of separate. Uh, and how she she finds the general by going, oh, wait, that guy salutes him on this video. Yes. Yep. After she, nine million other hours I watched. <laughs> that we watched and by the way, that guy looks like Colin Firth. Yeah. yeah he's not yeah. Colin Firth. I thought uh, that too. I thought yeah. he looked too much like him. Uh, and she's right. And so therefore, in a way, it's kind of a red herring that both Esther House and Alaline get her fired. 
but neither of them is the mole. It's just that they're part of witchcraft and they're, they're behind dupes. that. Uh, they're yeah. bureaucrats. Yeah. Uh, and they get run out. Like, I, and Toby Jones, I, I've liked that guy for a long time. I just yeah. thought he was so good. Like he's he's born to play that kind of part. And they let him do a Scottish accent. Yeah. Sort of, yeah. Uh, uh, which I liked. Um, uh, Dingus, what about a breach comparison? Oh, that's a good one. I like that. There's a lot more cat and mouse in Breach, and this is more about sort of like unraveling a, a tapestry and a plot. Uh, but Breach is more like personal cat and mouse. But uh, there's a little bit of of uh, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy there. Um, you guys yeah, have I think, a, I think Breach owes a lot to this. Yep. Uh, there is a great uh, South Korean movie, uh, which I think I might have talked about on the podcast before, called The President's Last Bang. Uh, which is about a uh, very cold war uh, set in South Korea during a particularly uh, eventful evening in the politics of South Korea that I recommend. Uh, not really a spy movie, but very, very cold war oriented, uh, which I liked a lot. And also some great technique, like it's a very well shot movie. Um, There's a really good, and I just watched this because it appeared in the um, the There's a Frame Game thread. And I've never heard of this movie. It's called Army of Shadows, and it's a French movie. Oh, no, that's and, the Sam Raimi thing. No. no exactly, yeah. Uh, Sam yes. Raimi, it's good. about a bunch of demons in the French Resistance. Um, and it's Shot really, <laughs> really good. <laughs> and it has a, a bunch of really tight little scenes that uh, that that I think you guys would really like. And, for, and I think it's just because I just watched it this last week, um, based on the recommendation of this particular thread. Um, but that and, and the, uh, and again, the Fred, um, Zinnemann, I think, uh, movie Day of the Jackal, which the, the reason I think of that is because when you see that early, and I do like this, I, I like this in, um, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, it, it lets you know what time it is by a memo. You know, it, it tells you <laughs> the, where we are Hi. by showing you the date 1973 on a memo. Oh, oh, yeah. And 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 that was and that instead of a tight subtitle, exactly. And this 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 movie does not rely, doesn't fall back on or uh, or go the easy route with with uh, voiceovers or with title cards and those types of things. It, and I, and I appreciate that kind of thing about this movie. But you still I think, hate it. Uh, yeah, I still hate it uh, because it's not as lean and mean um, as as say Day of the, the Descendants. Jack. Oh, as, as the descendants <laughs> are, which I also guess. has us uh, sussing out somebody's infidelity. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's I do have. What is the running time on this? I actually don't know this. What, is this, the movie is the movie over two hours? Slightly. Um, the, the the guy at the at the landmark said it was two hours and twenty minutes. I think it's wow two ten. Aha! Oh wait. I have to say it didn't. So I could see if you weren't into it, it might feel long. But it did not feel that long to me. It didn't uh, to me either. Um, and how I, long, how long did it feel to you, Kelly Wand? Uh, about Capricorn One. One, two, three, not only you and me, got one eighty degrees, and I'm gone. No way, we were, we were not going to get out of the Weak. It did it. It had a lot in common with Capricorn One. It's a great comparison, Kelly Wand. His door hinges. <laughs> Uh, let's let's do a three by three. That's a that's the weakest 
Britney Spears. Hey, look, I will, t- I will sit here and talk about Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy for another three hours. I will do it. Don't think that they would have to. They would have to send a plane for us to take us to the 3x3. Three three. There's no way we're getting out of that. Uh, uh, who's 3x3 three is this? Who came up with this? What's going on that was, here? That's fine. The, I saw a terrible movie called Rampart that had a horrible pool scene, and then I started thinking of... Hey, this is a horrible pool scene. What's a good pool scene? And I should have said, don't use this and don't use that. And I didn't. And I'm an idiot for not doing that. So Dingus, get in the pool. I want you to get in the pool, Dingus. There's no Dingus, get in the pool. pool. This is this is my rendition of Woody Harrelson and Rampart. Get in the pool, Dingus. (laughs) Dingus, I want you to get in the pool. Dingus, but you have to imagine I'm like splashing a lot. Like my hands, like a little, like a a 10 year old throwing a temper tantrum. Get in the pool, Dingus. You have redefined movie acting as we know it, Tom. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I do a mean Woody Harrelson. Uh, all right, so pool scenes. I will be going first because I am introducing next week's 3 by 3 which first. Which you guys are going to love. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right, pool scenes, my number three. Dingus, by the way, I like this topic. I have a bunch of runners up. Uh, yeah, me too. And they're uh, the same as yours. Uh, I don't know. Some of my runners-up are pretty obscure. I think we are going to share a lot of the same overall pool scenes. Mine are all horror. Well, there we go. I'm guessing we're all going to have the same number one, so I'm just going to cross that out right there. Nice work, Dingus, by the way. I know. I'm stupid. What can I say? Uh, Halfway through the week, Dingus emailed me and asked, can we take something off the table? And I responded to it, and I said, no, nice work. We're all going to have let the right one in as our number one choice. That's my number three. Spoiler. Well, we'll get to that in a minute. So my number three, first of all, uh, this scene tapped into... So pools are kind of cool, weird things, especially when you're a kid. And this number three, my choice, tapped into a kid's perspective on how cool it is that a swimming pool is, especially when it's not yours and you don't appreciate a swimming pool. And it's Hesher. Uh, Because I remember as a kid... I really, Tom? Kid, I remember as a kid during the summertime, you know, uh. when the, the apartments opened and you could go mess around in the pools. And here's what I used to love doing in a pool. Pretending I was one of the guards shot by James Bond, like running and jumping into the pool and pretending I'd been shot by James Bond. Like, here's how the here's how I would die. You know, the stuntmen falling off the rail or whatever. That's what I used to do as a pool. And I think the scene in Hesher where he's just like throwing junk into the pool and pretending he's in the trash compactor in Star Wars. That uh, that's a that's, that, to me, is the epitome of, like, how kids react in pools. They want to reenact scenes from their favorite movies. For me, it was people getting shot by James Bond. For Hesher, it was, and Dingus, I'm sure, it was a trash compactor scene from Star Wars. So that's my number three. Oh, and, and also lighting the diving board on fire. Doesn't he do that in Hesher? Or am I thinking oh, yeah. And James Bond did it to get out of the, uh, whatchamacallit, trap. <laughs> that's a Dr. No set for him. Ah, uh, very good. Yeah. So there's my number three, Hesher. I don't remember a bunch of James Bond guards getting shot by pools in those movies. Well, it's, they would generally have like a, a puddle of toxic waste. No, there'd be like a mattress underneath them, the stuntman off camera. So I was just doing the actual falling part, and the pool was breaking. You could have done it in the bedroom with a mattress if you really wanted to. I probably did that as well, but you can get more running distance at a, at a pool. Who shot you in this simulation? James Bond. It's like, hey, look, here's me being shot by James. You're Bond. the only guy. You're the only kid I know who would have who played James Bond as one of the guards. <laughs> well, if you're doing a whole, look. <laughs> okay, my imaginary. Okay, now. 
Then someone comes along with a cool gun and shoots me. <laughs> well, what else? It's a mattress. You'll what see. Else? How else are you going to do a dramatic wipeout into the pool? Like, what else are you going to no, in acting? I would have just assumed. Hey, look, there's Frodo. I'm an orc. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Here's me. I'm, I'm, I'm Gollum jumping into the, the lava. <laughs> Hey, let's play Capricorn 1. I'll be O.J. Simpson. You be Hal Holbrook. <laughs> All right, so there's my number three. Let's hear you top that, uh, Kelly Wand. Put the right one in. That's my number three. Ha ha. All right, well, let's talk about that scene. Uh, it is my number one. Dingus, did you put it on your list, or were you like, oh, crap, I'm not even going to acknowledge it? God, I wanted to, but how can I not? It's number could one. knock Rushmore off for that. Damn it. So wait, did, what, what place was it, Dingus? What were you saying? It's number one. It's yeah. number one. Of course it is. All right, so Kelly Wan, why did you pick it as your number three? And then let's talk about what makes that scene work and what a creative directorial genius Thomas Alfredson is, even though some of us on this podcast don't recognize that. <laughs> yeah, because they're racist. <laughs> Against Swedes. Swedes. Are we uh, more? Sweden? Norwegian. That's Norwegian. Oh, right, right. Sorry. Um, Swedes. The genius uh, of the Let the Right One In pool scene for me is uh, comedy, horror, both rely heavily on timing things and uh when a limb floats slowly in a pool it's totally awesomer for the timing okay that's my number three tom how does it compare to the limb drifting to the bottom of the ocean in jaws mm, see the lights not a pool yeah, it's the it's the cub scout master's leg yeah i'm sure they shot it in a pool. oh yeah i play i play as that character's <laughs> leg when i play jaws with these neighborhood kids when you're a kid in the pool that's good yeah you play as ellen brody or uh, as ben gardner uh, I, I love the economy of that scene. Yes. Uh, and the, the composition, and it, it just really is. I think I said at the time, I mean, I'd already liked, I was loving Let the Right One In as I was watching it, but at the time that I saw that scene, my reaction after that was, holy crap, I want to see every single thing this director does. Yeah, right. uh, Even a 70s spy movie. Exactly. Even a 70s spy movie that Dingus didn't like. <laughs> that was what I thought. So uh, when I, I uh, when I first heard about there was going to be an American remake of Let the Right One In, the first thing I thought was, oh, I wonder how they're going to ruin the pool scene. Which they did. Matt Reeves. I didn't see it, did he? How, how did they ruin it? Oh, yeah, you know, it's, it's, as you can imagine, it's just a lot more, it's Perfect. a lot flashier. There's more limbs being dragged around. Really? More blood in the water. So predictably, exactly what you would expect. I could be wrong, but I think you might even see a head or something. It's, it's really terrible. And worst of all, worst of all is the payoff in Let the Right One In at the end of the pool scene is when uh, Eli is when Oscar uh, comes out of the water and looks up at Eli, and there's this really tight shot of her eyes. And that actress, Lena Lee Anderson, I think is her name, she's just got the most beautiful, luminous eyes. And there's this tight shot of her looking down at Oscar. And there is no there's no comparative shot to that in Matt Reeves' remake. I think you see Chloe Moritz's feet, but you don't see her looking back down at Oscar after saving him. Uh, and it's just it's let me in is just such a it's such an exercise in an idiot making a remaking a film he doesn't understand. Uh, bad decision after bad decision. Yeah. Well, you you do see a head in in Let the Right One In, but it, I mean the the way the two scenes are shot to watch them. Side by side is is really to watch an exercise in incompetence. Wait a minute, you see a head and let the right one in? Yeah, yeah, you see a head drift to the bottom. No, you're confusing. Okay, in that case, right. well, that's true. <laughs> uh, but 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 the way those things happen, 
completely different. Uh, the the pooling of blood in the I mean, just watch both scenes and you'll understand what we're talking about. I'm not going to describe them to you shot for shot. And one of the great things that watching Let the Right One in this time gave to me is is Oscar's in the pool and um and the brother comes in and says come over here and all I can think of is Oscar just swim out to the middle of the pool. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's so such a revelation of his character is that he can't he can't do that at that moment. I mean he's 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 gained uh, a certain amount of power but he hasn't gained that much power. Um you know and so I just love what that says about the character and and how that how the whole reveal happens. It's just completely different. Uh, also, what is he like? He couldn't very well just like tread water out there. It was just a matter of time. So, what's he going to yeah, do? Yeah, but uh, but if you were given the choice between a guy saying I'm going to hold you underwater for three minutes and and then you swimming, it's like okay, jump in jump in the pool in your street clothes, douchebag. <laughs> <laughs> Thing is, yeah, you're, you're far smarter, you're far better than me at evading bullies. Well done. But but it's also That's there's also you. this whole thing of of uh, they've got the guy who lured him in, and he's he's there to work out with his gym instructor, and the gym instructor goes out to see the fire, and then the the guy who lured him in starts playing as the gym instructor, and the, this guy who's lured him in has told him. I think you did the right thing by smacking my friend in the ear. And, and so he feels like, oh, I've got another friend, you know. And, and so there's this playful thing that, that develops, and then he realizes, oh, I've been betrayed. So, I mean, there's this great whole thing. And, and plus that vulnerability of uh, I'm in water and I'm not supposed to be in water. I'm a person. <laughs> did you, so you saw Let Me In? Why did you do that? You told him to. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Is Matt Reeves going to remake Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, but with more uh, <laughs> stupid shit in it? We can only hope. Uh, all right, so uh, Kelly Wan, your number three choice. Wait, Tom, I have a yes. question for you. Sir, yes. When you play Star Wars, do you play as Porkins? <laughs> Just curious. I can hold it. I can hold it. Or do you play as Wedge? Did no, that's, right? too, that's too close to the heat for you. Kelly Wan, I play as uh, TIE Fighter Pilot number seven. He plays R five D four. He plays as the guy who smacks his head when he walks into that room. I love that stormtrooper. That's my favorite one. Uh, all right, so uh, a bunch Terrible. of let the right one in choices as as expected. So I hope you're happy, Dingus. Uh-huh. I'm not. I should have. I fuck. I you know, didn't Dingus. even think about it when I when I said the topic. This this wasn't even on my plate. And then I was realizing, okay, well, I'm, uh, you know, Thomas Alfredson is this week, so let me watch. And then as soon as I thought, right. let me watch, I went, oh crap. See, no, the moment you the moment you mentioned the the topic, I was like, oh well, yeah, of course, there you go. Uh, right you, know, you know what, thing is, there's no, we've got plenty of room during uh, runners up to talk about pool scenes that aren't that good, as good as let the right one in. So there's no shame in us all recognizing the brilliance of something, even though Kelly Wand, I can't wait to hear what two pool scenes are better than let the right one. I just in. wanted to get that one out of the way because I knew it was going to be. Well, that's way. not how it works. This is in order of greatness. So, so uh, there you go. Let's so, know. Cares what I say. So let's see, uh, Dingus, your number three choice. Yeah. For best pool scene in a movie, what do you got? Is that where we are? Wow. Yeah. Well, we've already knocked several. Done two of Tom's. We're almost done listening to him. <laughs> All right. All right. Let me uh, let me give you guys a uh, a line oh. from this particular movie. Oh, good. 
Why'd you have to tell me in the goddamn pool? Oh, what? See, that's, uh, dude, why are you? Uh, that's what Kelly won. That's what made him think of the topic. Lame. It's a why good you scene. Talked about it for two hours. We don't need to do it again. It's a good scene, and maybe people didn't see it's or listen descendants or listen to our podcast of the descendants. Why is he doing this topic right after we podcast about that movie? It seems well, a little much. I think it works. I think it's fair. Uh, fair game, Dingus. Good Dingus. Fair wins to you. Fair play. Okay, let's let him. Now he gets to talk about it again. That's what he's going to do. <laughs> Dingus, tell us first of all what. Tell us what the movie is, Dingus. All right, this is the movie The Descendants. Mm. Uh, from 2011, directed oh. by Alexander Payne. Feels like we saw it only yesterday. Right, it feels like that. And it's uh, another great movie that has a person throwing lawn furniture into a pool. But that's not the scene I'm talking about. <laughs> um, this is one of those, uh, you know, when I watch movies every year, I, I, I make various lists. And one of the lists I make is is my best miscellaneous little thing that happens in a movie. And this, this scene uh, is... It, it features that that one of those best miscellaneous little things, and I, I have no idea whether the Descendants is going to make my list this year. But uh, there's a moment in the Descendants. I watched it again, um, and uh, watched it again because I have a screener copy because I'm in the net sad nominee committee, so I can see these movies as many times as I want. That's my impression of you, Dingus. That's great. That's how you talk. <laughs> that, I know, and that except for the the uh, the weird thing I do with my tongue, you guys got it. Um, so anyway, so, uh, so the father, Matt King has to tell his older daughter who's being very difficult with him. And he's just brought home, um, that her mother is not going to make it out of the coma and he, and she's just being difficult. She's talking on the phone. She's not listening to him. She's, then she slips into the pool and she's swimming around and, uh, and he gives her this awful news and she goes under, she takes his breath and goes underwater and just, bursts in grief underwater this this moment of grief underwater one of my favorite moments of the year and then she just there's this anger that goes over her face as she swims forward and of course there's nowhere she can go she can't stay underwater and so she has to come up and continue a scene with with matt king uh with with her father and i i just i love that moment for for um for George Clooney, for the father, for Matt King, because I'm keenly aware of those times when you have to have an uncomfortable conversation with a family member and you have to wait for the right moment to do it. And sometimes you can't. There's no right moment to do it. And sometimes you have to do it in a horrible, uncomfortable, stupid, absurd situation. And that's what happens here. And it's in a pool. And I, I freaking love that moment. And that, that was my favorite thing about that movie, too. I didn't like it nearly as much as you, Dingus, but I, I loved that whole sequence. Uh, even before the I've got to I tell you this, where she says, this pool's dirty. And he's trying to be a good father, and he picks up he picks up the net and starts plucking leaves out of it. That was a great little character touch. So that whole that whole sequence, I'm, I'm with you, Dingus. It definitely was one of my runners-up. Uh, so, uh, all right. What, Kelly Wand? Why are you so... My opinion of that movie has descended since I... <laughs> Uh, so my number two choice, I'm guessing neither of you has ever seen this. Uh, I don't have a SAG nominated committee screener copy of this, but it is on Netflix. So I got to rewatch it. Uh, it's a really old movie and it's not any good. I don't recommend it, but I am going to pick this one because this kind of freaked me out as a kid. Uh, there's a really bad 
kind of a proto-Shining kind of movie. It's before The Shining, and it's about a family that goes to a house, and they're going to be caretakers at this house for the summer. And the father gradually goes a little crazy, and there's something about the house. It's haunted or whatnot, and it starts taking them over and making them crazy. And the cool thing about this movie, because this you could do this back in 1976, they all get killed. None of them makes it out, even the little boy. The movie is called Burnt Offerings. Yeah, yeah. Well, I thought you were talking about Robert the Shining. Foxworthy, right? Not the Shining. Uh, no, Oliver Reed is the the Jack All Nicholson right. character. Karen Black is the Shelley or uh, uh, Shelley Black's... Duvall right. character, and some kid I don't know is the kid I don't know from The Shining. Uh, they all get killed, but there's a scene early on where things are maybe going a little wrong, where there's a pool out back, and Oliver Reed is messing around in the pool. He's the father. He's swimming, and the little boy wants to get in and swim as well, so he jumps into the pool, and they're playing, and it's fun, father-son playing around, and Oliver Reed puts the boy on his shoulders and jumps out of the water and flips him, and they're having fun, but Oliver Reed starts going a little crazy. He starts, it's a really weird scene, and you can watch it on Netflix. He starts, like, holding his son's head underwater and thrashing him around and just really horse-playing out of all proportion with what a father and son should do. And he's really freaking out, and it's scary. And as a kid, you think, you know, you remember those times in the pool when someone would hold your head underwater and how terrible that was. Like, I, I used to be deathly afraid of, of, of some bigger kid holding my head underwater at the pool. It's the worst possible thing that could happen to you in, in the world at that age. So imagine your own dad is doing it to you. And that's the kind of fear that, that Burnt Offerings plays on, uh, or that it's supposed to. You know, it works when you're, I don't know, 10 years old and you watch it and it scares you. Uh, right now it's a little silly, and there's a really funny shot. So the little kid... Oliver Reed, you know, he's a big old guy, too. Oliver Reed is not a willowy fellow. He grabs the kid, and he goes underwater, and the kid grabs a scuba mask that he'd been playing with, and he whacks Oliver Reed on the nose, and there's this inadvertently hilarious shot from the camera's perspective of Oliver Reed looking at the camera as if the camera's a little kid, holding his bloody nose, sort of pouting and slinking away into the water, going underwater. It's almost like the <laughs> like the shark retreating out of the orca after uh, Roy Scheider has thrown the tank in his mouth, <laughs> except except that it's Oliver Reed in a swimming pool. So I just remember that scene freaking me out as a kid. Later on, the pool tries to drown the boy, and the the burnt offerings biggest claims to having special effects are they get a wave machine <laughs> and, and they they have a wave machine making waves in the pool and the boys thrashing around pretending the pool is drowning him and uh it doesn't kill him he eventually gets killed by having a, a chimney dropped onto him that's how he uh, dies at the end spoiler uh, the kid or the the kid yeah so let's see karen black gets taken over so the premise of the movie is they're coming and they're going to be housekeepers at this house caretakers at this house and the people who hire them uh burgess meredith is one of them by the way say to him look uh, take care of the house however uh our grandmother lives in the attic right. don't don't bother her you know she's really private you probably want to see her <laughs> uh, so just leave food for her but don't uh. don't don't go mess with her just leave her food every day uh and so what ends up happening is when they get freaked out and like a tree even attacks them and crazy stuff happens and they're like okay we're out of here and karen black is like oh you know what I should go tell the grandmother that we're leaving so she knows when there's no food coming. So she goes into the house to tell the grandmother. And Oliver Reed and the boy are sitting out in their, their station wagon going, oh, where is she? What's going on? We've got to leave this crazy house. And Oliver Reed is like, send her in alone. They, Oliver Reed is even like, and you can see him acting, don't go back in that house. Karen. I don't want you to. 
Uh, and she's like, well, I just got to tell the lady that we're going to leave. So she goes in and disappears in Oliver Reed, and there's a long scene where he's, like, creeping in going, I don't know what her name is. Let's say it's Karen. Karen, hello, Karen, where are you? And he goes upstairs, and there's the old lady. She's in a chair with her back to, to, to Oliver Reed. You don't know who it is. And she's looking out a window, and he creeps up. And he's like, Mrs. Blah, 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 have you seen my wife? Hello, will you tell me? Have Gee, you seen her? She came up, what? and he creeps up, and he turns her around real quick, and it's Karen Black in scary old lady makeup. You know, the house has taken him over. And then we cut to her lunge. We, she lunges at him. And then we cut to an absurd scene of a stunt man leaping out of an attic window <laughs> as, if, as if Karen Black has thrown him. <laughs> and, and he lands on the Wait. car where the little boy is. What? Was she the grandma all along? There was no grandma. The house took her over and made her the grandma. Made her into a grandma? Yeah. <laughs> I don't, don't ask me about the physics of this, Kelly. I don't understand Ron. that. It's supernatural. You can't understand it. It's beyond. Like the your... house is wasting a lot of energy. Uh, well, the house, though, when these people. Makeup. No, the house, when people die, it rejuvenates the house because the house gets all run down. Yeah, but it's not killing her, it's aging her. Then it well, jumps out the window. Okay. But then it throws Oliver Reed out the window and he lands on top of the car where the little boy is. And the little boy's like, ah, mom, mom. And he runs towards the house and the chimney falls on him. The end. That's the end of the movie? Yep. Hmm. I just spoiled it for burned. you. No, you know what? There are no burnt offerings that I know of. That's a good point. Yeah, pool's a wet offering. That's what should be. <laughs> that doesn't have quite the same ring to it, though. Yeah. <laughs> wet offering. <laughs> so, uh, and burnt offerings is notable for having living trees long before Sam Raimi did it in Evil Dead. I just want to and say. And Poltergeist, which also had. Ah, good. yes, very good. And William Friedkin's The Guardian. Uh, Living Trees. Uh, and Lord of the Rings. Oh. Ah, very good, Dingus. <laughs> All oh. right, so there's my number two, Burnt Offering. I don't recommend it, but it freaked me out when I was 10 years old. So no, Kelly Wand. Offerings. offerings, yes, thank you. Uh, Kelly Wand, what is One your One time it's a plural, you maverick away. The Burnt Offering, starring Oliver Reed, Karen Black, Burgess Meredith, and some kid. Kelly Wand, what is your number two choice for best pool scene? Uh, I'll do a quote. Awesome. I don't like human beings. Hmm. That's my quote. End of the quote. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've seen it. Oh, come on. I don't like human beings. Oh, uh, Battle LA. I hate you. That's throw, what my writer's up. Throw a grenade in that pool, as Dingus <sighs> called you attention business. to that line. Yeah. Right. Uh, I don't I don't know, Kelly Wand. What is, I, I hate humans. What is that from? Really? Is oh, Matrix. going to play? The Matrix. It's, got, it's that time in the podcast. He's got to be bringing up, uh, what's his name, Doctor. Ah, Dingus knows. <laughs> See, what? Because that's... Dingus has a memory like a steel trap, and we know what your albatross is. We know what your Achilles heel is. I have a memory like a steel sieve. A steel sieve, yes. <laughs> that old phrase. <laughs> uh, Kelly, one. I don't know what is. Is do you play as? Everyone. Uh... <laughs> um, human centipede one. With Dieter Laser, and remember he uh, swims naked. Oh, right. Yes, yes. Because <laughs> that's what you do. And it's like, that's why he made the human centipede, was so that he could have his pet watch him swim nakedly in his pool. Uh, it's uh, He runs away, and then he uses the cover of the pool to... Exactly, to get her out. Like, it's to, like in, in Let the Right One In, the bully says to Oscar, come over, and he does. Dieter Laser says to the woman who he's going to do terrible surgery to, come over, and she doesn't. So he hit, he starts to close this. Isn't it like a mechanical cover? Uh, and basically 
drives her to the shore that way. Yeah. Uh, all right. So the pool and human centipede. Well, better summed up like why he wanted to do it. Like, uh, and, yeah, this is way better with, with this thing watching me swim. And according to Kelly Wan, that scene is better than the pool scene and let the right one in. So, Dingus, what is a pool scene in a movie that you like that's better than the pool scene in The Descendants? But not as good as? The pool scene and let the right one in. Slightly between them. Uh, well, Kelly uh, Kelly almost gave it away. He already said it, actually. Ah, uh, yeah. You're so predictable. <laughs> of course I am. I'm very predictable, but this is this is my I love this little scene. Uh, so uh, so um, the the line would be uh, from right before this, and the line is "pull your head out of your ass." Tom, thoughts? Uh, Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy. It's oh, four movies. <laughs> uh, I'm going to need more information. That's that's too generic a line. What's that line from? Wait. All right, so there's a dude named Herman Bloom, oh. and his kids, uh, Ronnie and Donnie, are having a birthday. <laughs> All right, this is good. I don't, I don't even think this had to be at a pool, as far as I recall. What? Couldn't they have done that hey. scene in a backyard? How does the pool figure ending? So explain. He goes in. Hey, okay, look. So um, there's a there's a sad birthday party going on for Ronnie and Donnie. For a rich guy, I mean, it's a really sadly populated birthday party, and the kids are ripping into the gifts. And Herman is on one side of the pool, and his wife is on the other side of the pool uh, getting fed cake by the tennis pro. And Herman is just throwing golf balls. Oh, it. yeah, yeah. Just <laughs> tossing them in. I remember and, now. Uh, the weird little kid comes by, and then Herman yeah. jumps into the pool and just goes into the fetal position into the pool, basically. He does a cannonball into the pool, and just sort of in in this womb of the pool, he goes into this fetal position, and this weird little kid. It's just this wonderful, absurd moment in Herman in Herman Bloom's life. And I, I when I was thinking about pool scenes, I love this pool scene. Does it, done to the kinks. Uh, nothing in the world can stop me from worrying about that girl. Does he I, even have a glass? Is he holding his glass in his hand or something? Well, he 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 he's got his 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 highball that he takes up to the top of the high diving board, and he takes a big drink out of it, and he and then he's done with the glass, and then he just jumps in. And, <laughs> uh, I love, by the way, that you haven't even said what the movie is yet. Oh, sorry, it's Rushmore. <laughs> Well, huh. Kelly Wand said it earlier. He, right. he, he, I know, he, yeah. he anticipated that I would choose Rushmore, and for once he was right. That is a good one, Dingus. I do like that, yeah. Uh, I could have done Dingus's whole list from memory of previous podcasts. Well, you did a third of it so far. Yep. Uh, all right, so my number one, Let the Right One In. Kelly Wand, that leaves you. What is your number one choice for a pool scene that's better than the pool scene in Let the Right One In and the Human Centipede? Uh, <clears throat> I'll do a quote. Okay. Oh, looks like they came from within. <laughs> give up? I give up. It's they came from within. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> it's also known as Shivers. Oh, you know what? It's an early Cronenberg. I don't think I've seen that. What? Why would I have seen that? Is that the one with Marilyn Sorry. Chambers? Oh, I think so. Wait, is she in that? It's some other girl. Or Rabbit. Maybe that's Rabbit. I'm thinking you didn't about. see it. I don't want to spoil it now. Kind of bummed. Well, can you talk about it in non-spoilery no. terms? No. Okay. <laughs> no. 
Done. So, according to Kelly Wan, there's a great pool scene, and they came from within, a.k.a. Shivers, which is better than the pool scene in Human Centipede, better than the pool scene in Let the Right One In. Kelly Wan, I am intrigued, and I feel like I should go see if this is on Netflix. I've actually been meaning to watch er, some early Cronenberg movies, including that and Rabbit. for not watching this repeatedly. I, I feel like I need to watch more early Cronenberg. I know. I think I picked up Cronenberg around Videodrome, and that's as early as I go. This is maybe my favorite Cronenberg. What? Wow. Maybe. What's your favorite Cronenberg? Kafka? I would have to uh-huh. say... Oh, wait, Soderberg. <laughs> I got my Bergs mixed up. There's also Peter Berg. My favorite Cronenberg would probably be Dead Ringers, maybe. No. Set, no, oh, I'm sorry. No, sorry, Tom, you're wrong. wrong. Your, your favorite is your actually favorite the is Madam Butterfly. It's uh-huh. a dangerous method. Sorry, <laughs> which I which I haven't seen yet. But it, as much as I like like <laughs> as, as much as I like his sort of history of violence level stuff, like I, I Dead Ringers is just I remember it being so effective. Okay, well I need to see it. Dingus, while we're on the subject of favorite Cronenbergs, what would be your favorite Cronenberg movie? I'm gonna guess Eastern Promises. Uh yeah. Pr- but, uh, yeah, Eastern Promises. Spider, not Spider. Yeah, Eastern Promise. By the way, it's called the Eastern Promise. Uh, the Eastern Promise is. <laughs> All right. So Kelly Wan's favorite pool scene. They came from within. Kelly Wan, I'm going to watch that, and I will get back to you next week. All That's right. Uh, let's do some runners up. Uh, in Colombiana, Zoe Saldana. I think uh, that's I said Colombiana. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when did you see Columbiana? I read, yeah, when did you see that? I saw it, I think when it was out. Uh, but Zoe Saldana assassinates a dude who has a swimming pool with sharks in it uh, uh, by sneaking. I think she actually gets in the pool and she pulls him into it. How did she get the sharks not to eat her? Oh, no. She uh, she puts like a, the pool's Seduction. got a, a glass covering over it. So it's kind of, it's not really a pool. It's like a floor that happens to have a pool under it and the guy has sharks. It's like a fish tank you walk on. It's giant. And she, she cuts a hole in it. She makes him fall in and get eaten by sharks. So what do you think of that? It when reminds me of that uh, Kelly talked about where a guy gets, or somebody gets trapped inside a pool in the. Yeah. That was me. So that was another one that freaked me out as a kid. I found out there's a movie. I meant to look this up. The movie's not available. Uh, uh, and it reminds me of the scene in The Omen where the guy falls into the ice and gets oh, trapped yeah. and can't get out. But there's a movie, I think I've identified it, called called Arnold with Roddy McDowell, maybe, where there's a crazy house that murders people in weird ways. And the two it's ways I remember, that. well, one of the ways is it crushes somebody who's in a shower. Like the uh, walls of the shower come together and mush him. And what? another way is a guy dives into a pool, and the pool gets like a solid covering where he can't then come out of it and uh, breathe. What a dick so, so maybe that's what you're thinking of, Dingus. I tried to look for that, but Arnold is apparently a really hard movie to find from 1973. Uh, that also freaked me out as a kid. So don't oh, take – so all water-themed deaths. I thought Kelly talked – because I, uh, I had a, a topic that was uh, trapped underwater yeah. uh, moments. And I thought Kelly had said one from him where some girl was and, – and the house was haunted, and it made the, the pool so that you couldn't get out of the pool after she jumped in. Kelly, one, yeah, I think you might have also had something else. Like, I remember bringing that up then, but do you know what he's talking about, Kelly, one? No. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> Kelly, one has since forgotten, but uh, I do remember him having something to add to that, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, I was pretty uh, important back in those days. <laughs> Uh, I have a, I loved there. There's this lovely little underwater tea party that happens in somewhere. That was another pool moment. That I oh had. yeah, yeah, that's cute. Yeah, somewhere. Uh, Kelly, one, I'm surprised you haven't brought up Wild Things yet. 
Wild Things, Greenberg. What's the Final Greenberg? Destination? Wait, 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 hold on. I knew, I knew Final Destination Four was kind of. What's the Greenberg? Oh yeah, of course. <laughs> There's two ones. In Greenberg. <laughs> Greenberg is great. Yeah. Oh man, I want to. No, I'm okay with my list. But yeah, there's. Uh, something Greenberg was almost on the list, but then. Uh, oh, Greenberg same. has a lot. That's a great yeah. one. Kelly. I didn't even think of that. Yeah, Kelly, one. Tell us the two great pool scenes in Greenberg. Tell us it's about. It's got it. his his freak out where someone's swimming in a pool and you hear this plane going overhead and it's like a panic attack because he can't swim. Right. right, and he's going to try. He's an idiot. He's going to try, yeah, that's right. And it goes with the, the drone of the plane getting louder and louder. Yeah. And out. yeah. I like it when filmmakers use something to convey a sensation that's the opposite of what you normally see. That thing, like, pools are usually used to suggest Phoebe Cates' boobs, but <laughs> in this instance, it's air pollution. Thank you. <laughs> okay, Kelly Wand. Very welcome, good. slaves, for listening. Uh, I love to the scene where uh, the the party scene, where he's, yeah. he's drugged out, and there's some indeterminate, freaky creature floating yeah. dead in the pool. That's right. just a great touch. Cryptozoological roadkill. Also old school. Uh, the Christoph Kierslavsky movie Blue. Uh, a large part of that is Juliette Binoche. She she was supposed to be a runner in that movie, but at some point they decided, oh, we should make her swim, and plus that's blue and uh, birth imagery. What so, colors your eyes? Brown. Pass. I don't have an eye for detail. Pass bender. I don't know. <laughs> You're just guessing colors now. <laughs> uh, uh, Tom, I thought you were going to bring up Sexy Beast again. Yeah. Well, maybe I haven't gotten to it yet. Yeah, good point. Uh, it's right down here by Tower Heist on my list. Oh, how dare you. <laughs> There's a pool in that? <laughs> uh, I mentioned this to Dingus, but I think Josh Brolin's final scene in uh, No Country for Old Men takes place by a pool, and a woman says, hey, sporting goods, to him. <laughs> that doesn't count. He's not yes, even... it does. No, it totally counts. Up... She... No, she's, she's laying out by the pool. She no, wants him to come join that. her for a beer. That's a patio she... scene. And she calls him sporting goods. Kelly Wand, how about we start calling you Sporting Goods? Hey, when you play Sporting Goods, do you play as uh, Chaps? <laughs> gotcha. Um, do either of you guys remember leaving Las Vegas enough to know if there's uh, an actual pool scene in that, or are they just sitting by a pool? Does he try to commit suicide in a pool? I, I don't remember him leaving Las Vegas. Dingus, I'm going to put you in charge of rewatching that to find out. I'm not going to do that. I'll read the source <laughs> material. I just remember them like going out to the desert to hang out at a motel, and I and I wondered if he tried to commit suicide and they pulled him out of the pool, or I'm just conflating two movies. I like yeah. what you're thinking, but I don't know. All right, I was hoping uh, that rescue me. There's know. a really good unexpected pool scene, and Dingus still has not seen this movie. Uh, I'm giving Lady you in the water. I'm giving you a an X by your name, Dingus, for this. Uh, Twenty one grams. Has a great uh-huh. unexpected kind of pool scene, and it's not what you expect. Asymmetric uh, titles. I love the pool in Twenty One Grams. Uh, there are two pool scenes. I think they're in the same pool uh, in Ice Storm, uh, where uh, Elijah Wood and Christina Ricci kiss for the first time is in a pool, and later on during the eponymous Ice Storm, uh, the imagery of a child in danger has him standing on the diving board over this empty pool with no water in it, jumping up and down, and it's frozen over, and he's sort of sliding on the ice. Uh, I like that from Ice Storm. There's actually a movie called Swimming Pool. What do you guys think of that? 
Yeah. It's got what's her face in it. Oh, and Rrr. I also thought of uh, late in the evening. I thought of carriers. There's a there's a great moment in the pool. It's great because it's so scary of having to fish um, fish something out of a horribly contaminated pool. Oh God, yeah, very good, Jacob. I don't even think of that as a pool because it's so gross. But you're right. Right. Oh, dang, that's a good one, Dingus. Well done. Kelly One, what do you got to top that? Gremlins. <laughs> there's no pools in Gremlins. <laughs> yeah, that's how they multiply. Oh, you're right. Interacts with we, yeah, there's all the like crazy underwater lights and stuff that Joe Dante does, doesn't he? Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Isn't there like, there's, like, like underwater lights and the, the, uh, the smoke? What's that stuff you put in water to make it make smoke? Uh, Sodium carbonate. Mm, pass. Nitrous oxide. <laughs> Donors. Tranolin. No, it's like the dry ice. I don't know. Yeah. But, uh, but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. aren't there like fancy effects like that where the, the little gremlins start popping out of the pool? In what? In, in gremlins. Oh. In the. I only saw Critters, too. I didn't see Gremlins. <laughs> critters is a poor man's Gremlins. What do you think of that? But Dee Wallace is in it, isn't she? Dee is Wallace she? is uh, a poor yeah. man's Phoebe Cates. Oh, <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> you are so weird about Sarah Palin, Veronica Cartwright, anything womanly. Uh, except Dee Wallace. Dee Wallace, by the way, uh, fantastic performance in um, House of the Devil. Which both of neither of you has seen, and I'm putting no. an, I'm putting an X by both of your names for that one. Oh no, that's right. Wait, how many X's do I have? Dingus is getting another X. Actually, Kelly Wan, I'm going to give you half an X, but Dingus gets a full X for having not seen House of the Devil, even though Greta Gerwig is in it. Oh, oh damn. And she is, and I don't want to be indelicate here, but she's pretty freaking hot and very different from what she is in Greenberg in House of the Devil. So there you go. Wait, is she okay? Uh, I'm not going to tell you. You're going to have to see it. Any oh. other runners-up for great swimming pool scenes? Uh, Final Destination 4. You mentioned that one, right? Oh. Uh-uh. As a kid, uh, Kelly Wand, would you jump in the pool and pretend you were the character in Final Destination 4? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think we did well on that one. We've exhausted, I think, most of the pool scenes. That's the word for it. Uh, That's the verb. Let's use... Here's here's next week's three by three. I oh. think you guys are gonna hate this. You ready for this? So it's like every three by three. Kelly one, you'll hate this in particular. I think Dingus will initially admire it, and then over the course of the week, as he's trying to think about stuff, he'll be like, "Oh rats, this is hard. I hate this one." All right. There's a great scene in a movie we saw called Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, where a character talks about meeting another character. It's obviously a very significant event, but we don't see it. In a way, it violates the classic rule of movie making, which is show, don't tell. Instead, in this scene, somebody tells and it doesn't show. What I want from you guys are great movie scenes that involve telling, not showing. That oh. other, in other words, break that rule of show, don't tell. Uh, I want uh, great examples of those because I love that scene from Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, and I want to talk about other scenes like that where somebody's talking about something instead of the movie showing it to us. Are you taking anything off the table? Nope. Really? I'm taking the uh, I'm taking uh, 2001 off the table. I don't know what you're going to come up with, but whatever you are going to. I know we're going to have the same number one, and it's going to be boring like this. I actually don't. I can think of one maybe at this point that uh, I don't think you guys are thinking of, but I don't have anything in mind yet. I just really like that scene, and I want to think about other movies that do that. So uh, I look forward, Kelly Wan. I'm glad you know what I'm going to pick in advance because I don't Why know. Why did you think I would like this one? You're I don't know. Because 
Because you can't work Zapped into it. I don't know. Mm. <laughs> you haven't brought up Zapped in a long time. How do you know I can't like, work Zapped into it? You know, maybe you can. I haven't. There's seen. a lot of telling not showing in Zapped. Uh, so, you okay, just, well, well, good. Uh, Dingus, he describes Heather Thomas's boobs, but you don't see them. <laughs> okay, well, that's an example. Uh, Dingus, you okay with this one? Uh, yeah, I'm a little annoyed because it, it, it sort of bogarts uh, a topic that I had brewing, but... Um, you're right that to say that, yeah, initially I'm going to like it. So we'll see if, if it plays out that I don't like it at the end of the week. All right. Well, I don't know. I mean, I as as this is another example where a lot of times I'll do a 3x3 three three because there's a movie I have in mind. But I don't – I can think of one candidate for this, but otherwise I I have not pre-listed uh, my list on this 3x3. Three three. Nothing obvious comes to mind for you. No, but make a note of that because I'll be curious next week what you think it is. I, I'll be curious if I thought of it. So you're being silly for not knowing what it is. Okay, there we Will go. Will you please write the, write down what you're talking about, Kelly? Because next week you're gonna you're gonna just say I don't know what you guys are talking yeah, about. Yeah, it's gonna be like the woman that jumped in the pool and she couldn't get out of the water. You're gonna be like I don't know. So write it down, Kelly. Juan. make a note right now. Open Google Documents. Write that down. Wait, remember what? <laughs> See, <laughs> damn, you should have gotten to him earlier, Dingus. Sorry, I apologize. So next week, let's see a movie oh. about the International Monetary Fund being disavowed. Yay! Yay! I know that from the trailer. In the 1980s? Yeah. Uh, I know in the trailer that the IMF is disavowed. That's all I know. And that apparently Ethan Hunt, I think that's his name in the Mission Impossible movies, oh. he's called in to do something about it. Maybe he's going to have Dominic Strauss-Kahn disappeared. I don't know. We'll find out. Uh, you play Mission Impossible. Do you play as the Ving Rhames character or as John Voight character from the first movie? I play as Philip Seymour or Emil, Emilio Estevez's character. I'm I'm Philip Seymour Hoffman, Hoffman every time, and I'm like, look, I'm going to jump into the pool. I'm just okay. like Philip Seymour Hoffman in Mission Impossible Three. Uh, so this is uh, also the reason I'm excited about this is Brad Bird. Like it's his first live action movie. I'm a little, yeah. I'm kind of worried. Uh, it's no? got Jeremy Renner in it. Well, it's going to be weird because it's got. That, well, you know what? Quit talking because you're going to tell me things I don't know. That I've ex- now exhausted all my knowledge about this. It's got Jeremy Renner. It's directed by Brad Bird, and it's about the IMF. That's all I know. Well, that's weird enough, isn't it? I think so. Doesn't that entice you? Did you like Mission Impossible 3, Tom? Yes, I did. I kind of liked it, too. Are we yeah. dumb? Dingus, how dumb are we? Yeah, Dingus. Did you like the part where he played a... He pretended to be a priest whose car had broken down? And he does like some Italian hand gestures. I'm I'm just a little worried that Dingus isn't telling us what. Dingus is awful quiet all of a sudden. I don't like quiet Dingus. I don't approve. What's he thinking? <laughs> hmm. Can't hmm. figure that guy out. Interesting. I think I'm gonna say I'm saving it for the podcast. All right. Ah. Uh. Uh, so join us for that little Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol next week. By the way, it's doing a weird thing. It opens officially the week after, but they're re they're pre-releasing it on Pre-release. IMAX screens. Yeah, so if you go see it in IMAX, I guess they're going to drive people into IMAX. Uh, you can uh, see it a week early. Wait, so we have to do that? We have to see it's only on IMAX screens. Kelly, one you will be seen unless you somehow are on a SAG nominating committee and get a screener copy. No. Yeah, you'll have to go to an IMAX theater to see. I this. don't join groups of people. There are IMAX theaters in Torrance, California, though. I don't know that. There's that... not. It's not real IMAX. It's bullshit. They just call it IMAX and they charge you accordingly, but it's not real. Oh, listen to him. He just got passionate. That was cool. Wow, Kelly Wong came alive. G fifteen dollars for not IMAX. More so, like uh, non-max, non-mint. For a little uh, IMAX talk uh, on Ghost. No, Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. Our three best title ever. 
will be our favorite scenes of telling, not showing. Uh, I am Tom Chick. I have been joined by Christian Mariskovsky. It's Christian Pope Mariskovsky. <laughs> and Kelly Wand. Tom, when you play Cowboys and Indians, do you play as the town barber? At the party, she was kindness in the hard round. Hey Tom, when you play Sherlock Holmes, do you play as Queen Victoria? The story is you blew them to save your own skin. <laughs> <laughs>